Graham is an all-in believer in chemtrails. How to pursue your passion, how how to live up to your potential, how to face fear, and, and that's what the one thing I've been saying about the lack of initiation. The world of the masculine is scary. It's scary. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Robert Glover a little bit later about his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And uh, all sorts of fun stuff like that. Of course, friend of the show, Chase Joseph, C.S. Joseph, joins us for this one as well. That's a good one. And uh, I think Michael, friend of the show, Michael, from Truffaut Show, is running around here somewhere. We'll track him down eventually. First, of course, we have the one and only Grandma Lama Ding Dong Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Not bad. How you doing? Did yeah. you get that from my emailer? It, I was going to take I, it I, easy on you today. It seems like you're having a rough week. Did you? Yeah, I'm having a rough week. Yeah, definitely. Someone suggested that we Thanks. wrestle. Yeah, we could do, do the interview yeah. from the slingshot. Well, didn't we have a... <laughs> the camera right there and you guys can both <laughs> sit in the slingshot. Didn't we have a... Weren't we going to do a ring a ring toss? We we're like going to fight. We eventually should, yeah, we'll yeah. fight. We need to get fucking Boxing paid gloves. So I need to be like... Oh, I'll box you, but we need to get paid. Ten grand. Now you should get in those puffy suits. Ten, yeah, that would be fun. Let's ten grand, that. and I'll fight you for the YouTube channel. Ten grand, damn, dude. I don't want to fuck that. Gonna beat him up. It's gonna be all this weird dynamic. Then can't, then can't work. Then I'd beat him up for free. <laughs> then I gotta get workers' compensation involved. <laughs> I mean, many, you go to the hospital where you injured at work. Um, you know how many people no, out there would? So this whole fucking weird <laughs> dynamic on the show now. It's better when we don't know who's tougher. You could leg wrestle. I'll tell you what, we should just play Why that. You say we should just play wrestling. that. <laughs> we should just play that role playing wrestling Indian game. Wrestle. And do it I was way. thinking, we'll pick a character we out. We should role play the wrestling game. We pick a character no, out and no. we'll just do it like that. No, no, no. We got to rebrand that with some Grimerica branding. Oh. Slap some colors on it. Sell it in the store. Grimerica wrestling. Grimerica wrestling. Just do paper, scissors, <laughs> rock. What? Paper, scissors, rock. It's called WWG. WWG. <laughs> You, well, you must have heard about Graham's wrestling role-playing game he made. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but for wrestling, he made it in the 80s. Oh, yeah, the original, yeah, yeah. The original, the original yeah, copy. Yeah, that's right. I was here that copy. night you were talking about. Oh, that. Lots yeah, of people okay. want to play this game. They want PDFs of it. Oh, I'm sure. Why so not? I should, scanned it. I got the PDF. We got to throw some Grimerica branding on it, and we'll sell that motherfucker. For sure. Well, value, we should just do a test play in here one day. I'm not playing. Yes, you are. Come on. It'll be <laughs> fun. I got the dice and everything. We'll bring it over. We'll just quickly read through the rules. It's very simple. <laughs> this is how it yeah, starts. You could make like, your own character. If you want to play your own character, we can figure out how to do that. I'll be Tatanka. Why don't you just play SimCity? You have a guy like, like that. that. There's the, the, uh, the, yeah, the Sam, the Sam. Larry the, the Indian the, uh, or whatever. You got a lot of, <laughs> you have some very racist names there that were probably a lot more appropriate in the mid 80s. <laughs> Wait, let's go back to like Burgundy Big Dot? <laughs> 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 and we have a, sa- a samurai, a Samoy uh, guy, I think, in there. Like a big, uh, what are the big Samoan? Hawaiian guys? Samoan, Samoan guy, yeah. 
Right, so I'll you can play the him. game. Play him. Is this how the slippery slope into magic and Dungeon for Dragons starts? Yeah, pretty much. We could we could do uh, we could do like, you I could have do, like a native already. tracker. I guy. bought dice that time I was supposed to invade your guys's YouTube game and oh. fucking kill you in Grimstake. And what happened? We were waiting for you and everything, and then he just <laughs> <laughs> the Dungeon Master's waiting for Darren's guest appearance, and he doesn't show. It's like he doesn't even realize the impact. The impact of the game changes the whole narrative, changes everything. Just the monster doesn't show up. <laughs> what a guy! <laughs> I'm sorry, I ruined your game, guys. But at least you didn't die. Yeah, wouldn't that be a good thing if the monster didn't show up? Well, yeah, but I mean, I felt sorry for the the guy who's running it. You Dungeons guys could have like, built something. Dungeons and Dragons the gets peak, fucking and then it weird just when dies. the monster doesn't show up. It just like, dies. It gets fucking weird. It just dies. Around, waiting it's around. real homoerotic real <laughs> fast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Let's, uh, we have been, that has been a bit of a theme because, <laughs> well, because we're vampires in the one campaign. So we keep sucking blood. And stuff like so, so, so you can't help, you can't help, for, you can't help for it to become a little. <laughs> so this is what you do on Mondays now. <laughs> and now it all comes out. <laughs> just talk about sucking each other's blood. <laughs> And then you come on not this show. Not each other's. Not each other's. Other people. Yeah, we don't. We can share sometimes, maybe. It doesn't matter whose it is. Pile up on a guy. Sucking. Man, look at that guy. Suck that blood. <laughs> oh, man. We got to start streaming these. We got to get these on the fucking network. Uh, yeah, we should. FM, I know. Baby. We should be recording them. We started out, but then, you know, we got to. I don't know. We got to do it. You guys need yeah. to film this yeah. shit. I yeah. need to see the vampire fucking <laughs> sucking. I need to see you guys sucking each other. No, this is, this is it's, not, it's all in imagination, dude. You gotta, you That's can't why you guys get along it. so well. He needs to do it, and you need to see it. Well, I'll fucking hire an animator to animate your guys' scenes out. <laughs> I've actually thought about that. Yeah, we could put it together after we get the money from the wrestling match. I'd have to imagine there's already something. I mean, we're in a big battle. Put it this way. We're in a big battle, and James Cruz just sits there and just sucks people's blood, and we're in the middle of a fight, and he just moves to the guy to guy to guy, getting all these extra blood points and all these extra hit points, and we're in the middle of this huge battle, and he's just out there taking his time, sucking blood. Like, he killed, yeah, that's true. He did. He did. He's like a fluffer. Yep. Yeah. So now, you know, there's an ongoing joke about Mr. Cruz and his blood sucking. Slowly but surely. <laughs> so you guys, so you guys have like a subset group in within your like group. Oh, of course. Because you guys are like you know how many the Dungeons rooms? and Dragons guys. So you guys even like subdivide from that, and you have James Cruz, that <laughs> weird Dungeons and Dragons guy. <laughs> I wonder if that would bring him closer or further to reality. You should probably talk to a psychiatrist let's leave, let's because sucking. Let's leave it you guys that. just left it at a lot of sucking. Yeah. I think it gets it out of the psyche, actually. Yeah. Like things yeah. like that help you feel safe to be able to express these things yeah. in a non-harmful to anyone else exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. And so then you can work through these things instead of just keeping them bottled up. But it degraded to blood sucking. But you can also just because we're vampires people, in the campaign. But and you can also you know, lead stronger, people quicker, faster. You know, to thinking about things you wouldn't normally think about. And maybe shouldn't. Uh, I agree, Michael. I feel like I know more about the uh, Dungeons and Dragons game than I really need to. Yeah. 
at this point. Well, it's because you didn't show up that one day, and you know, I think you weren't. There's always another day to suck blood, man. Yeah, it's something to do about that sweet dice. Yeah. You might have you might have not shown up the day we were supposed to be turned into vampires, I think. I think it had something to do with that, maybe. I can't remember. But anyways, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. You flaked out <laughs> on the dungeon master. Well, it killed 15 minutes. So, yeah. Anyway, so uh, back to the UFO quote of the week. You're trying to I'd see that stalled and just gave me time to pull up the quote. Keep it going. I don't know the thing on I got to... Darren and Graham are going deep. I almost out of quotes. It's a profound UFO. My guess is probably 10 or 15 of them, maybe. Oh, really? Oh, my God. There's a light at the end of Four years. But later. I don't know. There's like, pa- like 47 pages of quotes. I can't. I, and I spread them out all over the place. So, all right. This is a good one. I was arrested by an Air Force officer. He was saying, do you like the Constitution? I'm like, yeah. He said, we don't obey. We just do what we want. And if you tell anybody about us or the UFO, you will just come up missing. That was Marine Corps Corporal Jonathan Wigant. We could start a channel where we just repeat that quote, but in a different voice. (laughs) And it could be all of our different voices. You could do a live show on Gramerica FM where you just do that shit all day. Well, that's, yeah, I could just record a whole bunch of those yeah. and then just let them play. Like randomly. you're, like you're auditioning for something. I'll, I'll, do like a du- I'll do a double here quickly if you want. What the fuck? Okay. Do you want uh, one from David Bowie or in yeah. Muhammad Ali? Muhammad Ali. In if Muhammad, you look into the I sky. I Muhammad Ali voice. <laughs> if See, you look in, is you get in trouble real fast. <laughs> yeah. if, you look, if you look into the sky in the early morning, you see them playing tag between the stars. That was Muhammad Ali witnessed UFOs on at least two occasions. UFOs. Yeah, UFOs. Captivating. Can't wait till the next chapter of quotes. <laughs> It'll be like to where you go by a restaurant that you pass every day and it's got that billboard on the corner that tells you what like a cover band they've got going on that weekend. And it would just be people reading quotes in their own voice, (laughs) copying Graham. So what's going on with the True Flow Show? Get out a pen and paper and write this down. I don't know. We'll see. Should have been ready, man. Why don't you, you send some physical mail to the Grand America Show? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll go back on that. We'll go back. It's okay, whatever. We'll get to the true faux show. <laughs> I got the jingle board. I'm driving Next the bus. Calgary, Alberta. Next line. Canada. Next line. T2T space. 5H7. That's the PO box. Why don't you send Darren some dirty socks? Okay, that's good. Why does this say Marksburg on it? Is that? It's a. It's what? I don't know, read the back of the Marksburg? postcard. Marksburg. It'll explain it to you. It'll explain it. Yeah. Hey guys, sending you well wishes and good vibes from our family holiday holiday in Germany. The heat here is pretty relentless, and listening to F two ninety two to two ninety seven has helped put my wife to sleep at night and keep me sane. At least we're helping put people to sleep. <laughs> Keep up the good work. 
Dave from Aussie Land in German Land. When the guy from Australia is saying it's hot, it's fucking hot. Yeah. <laughs> P.S. The castle is one of two castles not destroyed in any part by Hitler. Wow. Why not? Die Marksburg, die Marksburg über Braubach am Rhein. Have you checked beneath the castle at all, I wonder? Where he kept his hose. There's only one of two, so it must have been protected. Yeah, Why? exactly. It's a beautiful castle. Pull out my trusty knife. We got this. Got something else in the mailbox, in the P.O. box there? P.O. box. That is one of my favorite jingles, actually, by the way. Really, eh? Wow. I mean... Yeah, now we're talking. It's catchy. Oh. Bingo, bingo. Oh, it looks like some dirty socks. Looks like we got some dirty socks. Seeds. Seeds? More seeds? More seeds. I wonder what kind these are. Different, dude. I bet you it says in this envelope. Yep. Oh, some Some Canadian greenbacks. Some play money. Hundred bucks. Nice. Thanks, guys. Darren, the bigger of the three seeds is called orange bud. The smaller dark one is previs. The other one is coning. All from Selic seeds. I've grown all three. You'll be happy. Graham, the, the dough is yours. Ha ha. Take care, gents. TJ. Thanks, TJ. Yeah, thanks, bud. Awesome. You got a lot of dough to grow, bro. You gotta keep track of these things too. You can't mix them all up, right? Oh, that's how we get to do. You could build an empire on that jar. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Big thanks, TJ. We love dirty socks. Yeah, Old we love booyah. getting stuff in the peel box. It's fun. Fuck yeah! Thanks. Um, what else you got? Well, I got a couple of emails, but I want to talk to Mike about, uh, Michael, about Truthonious. the Truffaut. Truffaut's back? Yeah, I think I'm going to spend a little more time on it. Don't, nice. Don't call it a comeback? Well, you know that uh, record in May and go away, except none of my May ones worked out, so. <coughs> yeah, but that was okay. Got moved. I think I have a whole new um, reason for doing it, so. Oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, your location? Yeah, somewhat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a pretty crazy place. So when can we look forward to the relaunch? I think I'm going to try and put one out tomorrow. Ooh, look at that. But I don't have another one recorded yet, so. I have a few more lined up, though. Are you going to come and here And I might possibly them, have, uh, I'll probably do it when I'm here, yep. Yeah. And then I have a, uh, a gentleman, a friend that I know who's uh, into permaculture. So he's really interested in coming on and doing a number of episodes. So we should see how that goes. I invited him to be co-host maybe for a few shows. That would be kind of fun if, you know, if he and I click, then have him on. If he, yeah. That's I cool. could rent your ground too. If you need. Or I could you just borrow. He's a half decent interview. You moved out of Calgary and now you're, are you coming? So you're coming back. How often are you back in the city? Uh, right now it's every other week until the snow flies, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, well, so, I should be able, so I'd like to line up so I can lockdown. have like, yeah, September and October. 
dialed yeah. in. And, yeah, yeah. But election season's coming up, so it shouldn't be that hard. And I really just have to focus on it is all. I've yeah. just been moving, and this summer was just been crazy. I think it's in the air, so I'm sure most people can kind of... It's not just my life. It seems like everybody's life. Word up. So, yeah. Right on, buddy. Well, good again. luck with that. Plus, summertime's a good time to just be outside, but... I don't know. Maybe next year, if this thing's serious enough, I'll keep it going all the time, you know? But right now, it's like when I have time, so... Yeah, that's what we should do. No, you're too big now. You can't. You're chained to it. No, no. Never too big to walk away. Well, you could record all of your shows in just like a two-week period for the whole year and then huh. parcel them out. That'd be intense. The intros, by like the day three, the intros would just be fucking like fucking. And the problem is a lot of <laughs> a lot of these are timely too. Now we're finding like we have sometimes we have too many in the can and we have to wait too long to release them. Like this one is in the can too long. This is not timely. This was this one sat on the shelf for over a month. Yeah, but this one wasn't timely. But some of the other ones that we talked about uh, YouTube censorship and stuff like that, I, it, I feel like that. we need to get those released quicker because you're talking about current events, right? So that's why I kind of think it would be fun to do a like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday show. You know? Yeah. So yeah. you put out like 20 minutes each of those days, yeah. but then you're even more chained to it. I yeah. Mm. It's hard to say. I'm just not that committed to giving the AI my data, you know, like I'll give it some, but I'm just not, I you don't gotta, feel like I want to commit be, all yeah, the data. I don't know. Mm. And it nudes. I just don't have time. Send nudes. But everybody says that's a terrible excuse, so. That is a terrible excuse. What did you do yesterday? <clears throat> yesterday, I took the kids to the park twice. That's a good excuse. Yeah. You could have made it once in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is a room that's soundproofed in the basement, so oh. I think I'm going to try and move stuff around. Any bones? I haven't found any bones yet, no. Oh. Any, like. Claws on the wall, claw marks. <laughs> That's freshly painted. That's how they get you. Yeah, yeah. So it's been well covered up. Bastards. Yeah. It is a pretty cool town, though. I like it there. It's like, uh, what's that show, The Truman Show? It kind of feels something like that. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of, the whole thing's pretty strange. But it's fun. I haven't moved in a while, so I'm excited about moving. I like going different places. and. That's good. But everybody there, it's a small town, so everyone's, you know, been there for a long time. They all know each other. They all, like, they all know each other, basically. Yeah. Except for the implants. You're a bit of an odd duck. I yeah. should probably cut my hair. Yeah, that would help. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in the winter, I prefer And have a shower. Yeah, it's only been a day. It was just not today. Oh. It's not, I'm not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. I my, show, my show is audio, so... You know, the camera, it's aren't on, so it doesn't know. Yeah. All right, well, whatever. I say, I say don't fuck with your appearance just for those fucking hatters over there. What those hatters? med hatters. I don't know. Med I found hatters? Out, the med hatters? You really That's should kind of fit in, you know? Good. You think? Oh, yeah, oh. because you become, you become like, uh, you get picked out easily, you yeah. know? Profi everybody profiles in the first second that they see anybody else. Yeah, everybody does it. I don't care how yeah. many <clears throat> seminars you sit through, you still do it. I profiled the shit out of you. I'm still doing it yeah. right now. No, I know. It's, it is hard. You but. do it right off the bat all the time. Everyone does. And 
yeah. So if you move into a town, you should kind of fit in, you know? No? Assimilate. I don't know. I guess so, but why? But why? Yeah. Well, cutting my hair is not a huge deal. I'm not no. going to get like the you could sh- if you shaved and cut my, your hair, then you, my... if you shaved and cut your hair, you'd be completely different. Michael. I wouldn't even fucking <laughs> oh, recognize you. I'd no, walk, you walk right past you in the street. Yep. <laughs> I did that one time. I cut my hair off. It was quite a bit longer, and I cut it off, and I cut it myself with a with a. I was pissed, and I just shaved it right off. And then the next morning, I went in, and yeah, nobody recognized who I was, and they're just like. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. And I look like 15 years younger. Wow. That's a trick to it. I got to shave. What's this? I got an email lined up here. Oh, man. We're out of sync today. We're out of sync, bro. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grind America. We haven't gone to the YouTubes in a while. Here we got just a general channel comment. Oh, they can do that? I guess. From Ja Givens. To me, it seems that Graham has less and less love for Darren's good-natured ribbings. Might I suggest mud wrestling to once and for all squash any poised animosity? Maybe a snap or nap BJJ match. What's a... Everyone wants to see what Graham's calves can do. Tell I'm down. I'll throw down. Not the mud wrestling. Let's just start with the fucking role playing game. And <laughs> the mud wrestling. Have you ever real, seen right? real mud wrestling? That looks hardcore. It's it's not as easy as it looks. Stalin reportedly said that in order to get people to participate in evil, you must first convince them that they are doing good. David Icke calls it the totalitarian tiptoe. Mm-hmm. Wow. From uh, What is the Universe on episode 303, Brown and Mars, just released yesterday. I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys. That was Bruno Mars? No. Oh. What is the Universe? Didn't you say something about cool. Bruno Mars? My podcast subscription list of shows behind paywalls is now in excess of a Netflix subscription. I realize it's a wonderful model, but it renders news I want to hear for balance beyond me. Dark journalist Veritas are but two. I wonder, for the sake of unity and industry domination, you could pose an alliance with THC, Crow, and varying others. You may need them to take a minor income cut short term, <laughs> but long term, wow, clean up <laughs> through sheer numbers and what a service. That's a totally that's an interesting idea. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Sort yeah. of what UMG was, but instead of having it bigger, it would be joining bigger. Oi, Darren, keep high. You the man. Graham also. Maybe have a light dose of shrooms with Darren next time he does them. <laughs> no. No more than a gram worth for no. gram. I'll no. chaperone. No. Nada. Equinoxes vary by a few days depending on latitude. Solstices are a fixed date. More interestingly, at mainland European latitudes, the sun rises on the latest rises latest on or around the first of January albeit by a few minutes and not on the solstice. 
The sun, therefore, could be regarded as at its weakest and growing in strength from the 1st of January. Hence, the new year may not be as arbitrary as your guest proposes. If this is the case, the more interesting question is, how was this known centuries before modern clocks? Hmm. I can't remember. Well, it would have been on the Jane Chin uh, Jane live Chin, that's there. right. Have you ever seen that model of the of our solar system where the sun is moving through the? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So when the it gets to the, oh, the, yeah, so yeah, when it gets the, to the top, it probably floats a little. I mean, how does that work? That's when like, you can jump there, higher. So would there be a period of time where like everything kind of floats for a second and then the sun starts pulling again? That's not how it works. No, Jesus how does it work? Christ. I don't know. <laughs> not like that. <laughs> One more. A good. This is one on number two seventy nine. The octopus of octopusy of global control. Is that Charlie Robinson? Yep. Yes. A gooder. But I have to comment about the person in the intro who is complaining about support and the black budget. I haven't been on the podcast scene for too terribly long, but it's been long enough to know that sponsors and ads are a pain in the arse. I hate them so much that I simply stop listening if a podcast carries on too much about it. My sister told me to listen to the Real Crime Profile podcast. Sweet. I like that kind of stuff. I listened to a 16-minute episode that had four minutes worth of sponsor crap. <laughs> four minutes. Primerica episodes sometimes push the three-hour mark with a measly 30 seconds of eliciting support. And oh. even then, Graham and Darren do it in a very undick like way. And they always say there are ways to support besides financially. So shine on, you crazy Canadians. I love and appreciate your show enough to continue to support you in any way possible. That's awesome, awesome feedback. Yeah, I thought I thought we maybe sometimes we go on too long, but I guess it's really only 30 seconds. Like, it's only like a fucking maximum a minute, 30 seconds a minute. Well, I looked it up, and once you start getting sponsorships, I think it's 10,000 you have to have. Right. I don't remember what the numbers are, but there's a minimum number, and then you're paid... For the 30-second slot and the one or two-minute slot. Yeah, right, right. And you can do two of those. You, how many will your listeners put up with before yeah. they'll stop listening? Yeah. Yeah. So people could do two 30-second slots at the beginning and two one-minute slots in the middle, and you get paid pretty well f- by the sponsors for that. Yeah. So that that's four minutes, you know, and when all that happens. Pow, 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 pow. All righty. So I got an email from uh, from a friend of the show. It's oh, a God. long overdue synchronicity that I should read now before I. Uh, yeah. So you want to do it's not Marsman, is it? No. Okay. <laughs> Say it. Why? Well, now he's going to email you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go. See, I haven't heard this in a while. I want a good score from a synchronicity. If Graham reads it out, then Darren might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Yeah, yeah. I saw a, a girl with a Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction shirt on my way here. Is that count as a synchronicity? I thought it was more interesting that we haven't played that for a while. That we're recording the intro for the show that Chase was on, and it randomly lined up with the day we're having him on for the other show. Oh, that's interesting too, isn't it? Yeah. So what up? What up, Graham and Darren? Been meaning to write you guys forever, but we talk in the chats, and it's really hard to focus on just one area. 
of what I want to articulate because you guys have been on fire lately and every episode gets the gears grinding in my mind. Anyway, all that's beside the point. I shared the synchro in the chats and wanted a rating from Darren. It was so mind-blowing. I can't remember another one that was so intense. Having said that, they've been getting deeper and deeper for me since I came on the Black Budget and really intensified my studies of the esoteric and occult. What? Who's this? D suggested I email for the rating, so here I am. Who's this? And I lost the original email and I had to go back and ask him. Who's it? You'll, you'll, you'll remember as we go along here. I could get even remember. deeper with what I'm going to say, but it would take so much time, and honestly, it's just too much. It's hard enough to believe it in the first place, but I got pictures. It started at the pizza shop for lunch. You like pictures. I do like pictures. I picked up a newspaper. Especially colorful ones. I don't even think I've read before. So he picked up a newspaper he's never read. Let alone the fact that I haven't picked up a hard newspaper in years, literally. Especially when I have the option, but a paper, what does it say? Paper and a U.S. weekly. So, so between, between, so he had the option between a paper and a U.S. weekly. What day? I don't, what do you mean? What day of the week? Yeah, like last Thursday or something. No, this was ages the, ago. I went and grabbed the National Post out oh. front of work and read the cover of it. Oh, did you? I was thinking this is the last, first time I read a newspaper <laughs> in a long fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> Did it feel good? No. It sucks. They suck. You get ink all over your they hands. Suck. It's yucky. I prefer a book over a tablet or a Kindle or anything, but newspapers, come on. It's still fake news. It's 2018. Easy on the fake it's, news, alt righty. It's still fake news. Alt righty Not all newspapers, Pretty just because it's American. That's all There's an agenda behind it. So it's all AP? The what? The Associated Press. Yeah. Like all the papers. That's where they, you see the article that says this yeah. is AP or Reuters. Back to the synchro. I forget what happened now. I need a recap. So why educate myself on current events when I can indulge in what Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez were wearing at McDonald's? They're normal people just like us. Anyway, back to it. The article on the front page was about a pound, a meat, hashtag me too, anti-sexual assault march in my town, Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm enclosing the online version of the picture that went with it. I got about halfway through it, finished my lunch, and left in a hurry to meet a client. The next day, I was at my dentist's office waiting to sign in some papers for a payment plan, and the same article sat on top of all the trashy mags that I would typically choose over the paper. I figured, hey, might as well finish it. As you can see from the enclosed pic, the focus... Of it is the stocky guy with the orange means no sign. Uh, uh, sorry, the orange no means no sign. Right? See that guy? The, so that's the that's the that's the picture in the article. There was also a small blurb about this guy and how rare it is to see men at the forefront of protests about sexual assault on college campuses. I finished reading. I was going to say some smart ass there, but I think I'll just keep my mouth shut. I finished reading the article and got what I had had to get from the dentist, proceeding to get in my car and drive straight to Chick-fil for a lunch. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. I walk in about 15 minutes after I finished the article, mind you, 
and the guy from the newspaper article I had just finished reading was standing right in front of the same entrance in the same outfit from the article talking about in March in Denver on the phone. Oh, he's paid to be there. Sure enough, they called out the same first name for his food, Chris, that was reported in the paper. I would have gotten a video or a pic with him, but he was having an intense phone conversation and I was totally flabbergasted and almost in shock. I was absolutely blown away, needless to say. Here are the pics. The second one is a live photo. If I held down on an, on an iPhone, he turns around. If what? The, the second one is a live photo, and if held down on an iPhone, he turns around and you can clearly see his face. Keep up the good work, guys. I hope you enjoyed Sir High Noon and its little audio chemistry, alchemy contribu- contribution to help us support. It was a blast to make, so... He made a jingle with Sir High Noon. So, and anyways, there's the picture of the guy in this in the story. Love you guys like brothers, Salvatore, antithesis. So, yeah, hey, Sal. Oh, Sal. What's going on, Sal? So, eight, eight. That's it, eh? That's it. He was pretty blown away. See, it for, is pretty high. For me, the, it's the fact that it's the weird stuff that it's hard to express, right? When you pick up a paper that you haven't picked up for years, like you, you all of a sudden decide to pick up a paper and read something, and then you see the guy. Like, why, 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 why would he pick up the paper and read it? He's seen the guy to the corner of his eye. What? He it wasn't even paper, until the next day. Paper guy. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird, eh? So only an eight, <clears throat> eh? Eight, eight point two. Yeah. Things usually come in threes, though, don't they? So, oh, back down to eight. There should be a third thing coming up now that's even bigger. Yeah, maybe. Well, it was kind of like the paper—the paper that was on the big pile of junk mail. That was—that could be considered the second part of the synchro. There you have it. Well, we better get out of here. Get you guys into the chat with uh, Robert Glover. Good chat. You guys should enjoy it. Oh, wait. Support the show first. GrabAmerica.ca slash support. Get access to the black budget. We do really need you guys to support the show before Graham makes some crazy decisions. (laughs) The other thing is is, uh, we do have a Goodreads account now that Ali set up for us. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's got like a picture. Well, no, it's got all the books, I think, in our bookcase and a lot of the ones from our guests and stuff like that. So... So people go check that out as well. That's pretty cool. And the chats, you can comment on future shows, past shows, synchronicities, guest suggestions. All that can also be done not only by email, but in the chats as well, in the Discord. Absolutely. Yep. There's live, live oh, yeah, shows live every show. Wednesday. New websites coming. And the and the Grimerica FM, do you want to talk about Grimerica that? Grimerica FM, streaming. The OBDM guys are on there. Cruising with Steak. All that shit. We should get a schedule up somewhere, I guess. Well, there's a link in the show notes for that's that right. just listen all day. And just so, so what just is that? That's like an internet, internet radio station that's just looping some of our back episodes, and then every day there's some live or not every day, but there's we're some live, live right shows. Now, yeah, OBDM goes live Thursdays. Cruise mistake Tuesdays. Yeah. John Brisson said he wanted to get something going yeah. eventually. Yeah, so we'll hook up a lot of. A lot we'll of load that. it up eventually. We'll load that whole motherfucker up with yeah. live shows. You only do that with support. Grabamerica.ca slash support. Help us pay the bills. 
We don't have to put up paywalls or anything crazy as like you, that. As you just said, John Brisson, his his picture oh, showed up. What? <laughs> it just fucking showed up on my screen. Because your computer's listening to me. John Brisson's picture John showed Brisson. up on your screen. Yeah, from the chat. It? You know the chat? Like oh. his uh, at oh, here chat chat. Well, he just chatted. I don't even say his name. Wow. Is wow. he listening? Maybe he's listening. Could be. Either way, there'd be a delay. <laughs> support the show. Damn, we figured that one out. <laughs> America.ca support. Enjoy the chat. Robert Glover. Yeah, it was a great one. It was a good one. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Tonight we've got another special episode. You've probably heard us talk about this book. It's affected Darren quite a bit, and we talked about it in our in our Chase uh, Joseph episode. No more Mr. Nice Guy, a proven plan for getting what you want in love, sex, and life. So we figured we'd actually have the author on. So Dr. Robert Glover is joining us, and he's also uh, the director of the TPI University. Um, he's got a whole you know a whole website here with coaching and stuff like that, and that's total personal integration. And obviously, this has had a big impact on Darren and and myself through Darren, obviously. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've also got Chase joining us as well. So uh, welcome to you guys, and thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, looking forward to it. Likewise, for myself, I appreciate the opportunity and you gentlemen thinking of me. As oh, well. oh, of course, man. We love to get people together like this. And and like I mentioned. Uh, uh, Dr. Glover, your books had a big impact on Chase and Darren, obviously. So, I, where do you want to start with this, Darren? I mean, this is your this is your. Uh, well, I kind mm-hmm. of uh, I re- would have probably wouldn't have read the book if it wasn't for Chase. Chase threw it at at me when I was talking to Chase, and probably you know I don't think it would be uh, an exaggeration to say that I probably wouldn't still be married if I today if I hadn't read the book at the time that I did. Yeah, or at least point. if I was, it wouldn't be going as well as it is, is right now. So um, it kind of came into my life at a really good time, and uh, and had it was one of those books that at, the, at this point in my life, like I said, we had Scott Adams on last week, and his book was this, probably the second, and the, but this book has probably probably been the most profound book uh, in my experience anyway that I've read. Um, so I think the best thing to do because there's probably a whole ton of our audience that hasn't. Uh, might not know what we're talking about here is to maybe just have Dr. Glover uh, give us a quick rundown of what exactly a nice guy is and and uh, how he came upon it. All right. 
Uh, and, and from here on out, you can call me Robert. Right. Sounds good. Perfectly <laughs> comfortable with that. Um, I, as Chase said, well, we were just kind of chatting, getting to know each other. He said, he's a recovering nice guy. So am I. And, and that's how I came upon this. Um, probably started this journey about 30 years ago. Uh, basically the woman who I was married to at the time said, you need to go get some therapy or I'm going to leave you. And I thought, well, I didn't want her to leave at least at that time. And, um, I thought, but you know, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I, I, I do everything right. I try to make her happy. I try to please her. Um, you know, I put up with all of her crap, you know, but she's unhappy all the time. Uh, she never wants to have sex. It's never good enough. Um, and so, um, I, I started into to some therapy. I actually started out in a, uh, a 12-step group, first of all, trying to figure out why being a nice guy didn't make my wife a better wife and didn't make her happier and didn't make her want to have more sex like she used to want to. And uh, luckily, uh, my good fortune, I, I fell into some good places with some good therapists and good groups and uh, started actually working on me and finding out why my paradigm of being a nice guy wasn't working out so well. So let me just give you maybe the, the little elevator uh, description of a nice guy. Uh, uh, a nice guy believes um, he has, to, he, he believes he's not okay just as he is. And he has to become what he thinks other people wants him to be in order to be liked and loved. And he has to hide certain things about himself that he thinks might uh, create negative reactions in other people. And so uh, I, this is the things I'm starting to discover about me and my own work. And I, at the time, I was working as a marriage and family therapist, and I started noticing a lot of the guys coming in couples therapy with their wives or their girlfriends were saying the exact same things that I'd been saying in my marriage, that I'm a nice guy. I'm one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. I'm better than her ex. I'm raising her kids. I treat her well, uh, but it's never enough. She's never happy. It's never good. Good enough. When's it going to be my turn? She never wants to have sex anymore. And um, I started thinking, man, I'm not the only person with this roadmap, with this paradigm that thinks if I just do it all right and just treat everybody really well, then everything in my life will go well. I'll be loved. I'll be liked. I'll get my needs met. And so I started uh, a No More Mr. Nice Guy men's group with some of these guys. And I said, okay, let's get together every other week. I'll write some stuff that I'm discovering about how we get to be nice guys, why it doesn't work, maybe how to how to live more effectively and started giving these guys chapters or lessons every other week. And they kept saying, well, you need to write a book. You need to go on Oprah. And uh, so I kept writing and eventually it did turn into a book. It's been out 15 years now. Never got on Oprah. Um, but as we were talking a little bit before we got started, the, the book keeps spreading mainly by word of mouth, like the way you guys heard about it. One person tells another person about it. And, um, so that's, I'm, I'm still a recovering nice guy. I'm still working on me. I still see this stuff popping up all the time. And, um, it, it's kind of, now I, I can see it quicker, respond to it quicker, and I got better tools to work on it. But it's kind of interesting. It never does seem quite to go completely away. Well, we've been called the Canadian Oprah, so in some ways. The Canadian yeah. Oprah, eh? All right, hey, I'm hey. in the right place. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely can resonate with that. It never really goes away. You just sort of, and I'm just sort of uh, new into my recovery, but you, you do just sort of notice it quicker. You can um, react a little better. 
Shut, shuts off some triggers. How come you're a dick to me yeah. then if you're a nice guy, Darren? I don't understand how you just nice to the wife and the women and you know in the studio you're that's part of the gimmick. That's part of the gimmick. Yeah, I can't yeah. start being I can never stop being a dick to you. Or we're gonna go out of business. Well, and, and that's part of the whole nice guy thing. I, I begin the book really addressing the, the 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 paradox that a nice guys really aren't particularly nice. If you think about it, trying to become what you think other people want you to be and trying to hide certain things about yourself, you're not particularly honest. You're not real. Uh, people don't know who you really are, what you really think, what you really want, what you really feel, what you've really been up to, what you're really going to do. And, um, and then there's a lot of other not-so-nice side effects of, of being a nice guy as well. So, so that's kind of sometimes the, the, the big stick upside the head is while we think, I'm such a nice guy. Why doesn't everybody like me and love me and treat me well? And, and the truth is, number one, that doesn't put any money in the bank. It, it doesn't buy you credits. Um, and, 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 and the other side of that is often we're not all that nice in spite of how, how nice we think we are. Yeah, that's kind of leads into my what I was thinking. My next question would be was is like it's kind of a misnomer that it's you're a recovering nice guy because you're still obviously ni- nice. You're just you're just more authentic, right? And you're more genuine, and people can see that. I'm assuming. Well, I I I, I hope I'm a decent human being. I, I would like to think that I I'm generous. I caring. I can also be critical and negative and judgmental. I can watch those things come up. Um, and, and I like the word authentic that you used. And in the book, I talk about becoming what I call an integrated male. It really doesn't matter what we call it. There's, you know, there's a lot of writers and coaches out there uh, working with men, and there's a lot of different terminology we can use, and they all fit. Um, but I like the word authentic because I know when I do workshops and seminars and teach classes, the uh, feedback I almost I regularly receive, and it's to me maybe the thing that makes me feel the best, is when people say, "I like how authentic you are. I like how real you are." And I would not have been told that 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. People did not tell me I was authentic and real. I wasn't, um, and so maybe that is the biggest change of of the work I've been doing and the journey I've been on is learning that I can be me. I I can just be me put all put all of me out there nothing hidden nothing half-assed it's all on view and um and people are going to be drawn and attracted to that rather than the image i used to try to manage to get people to be drawn and attracted to me which didn't work so well so maybe that's maybe as simple as anything what what maybe recovery from nice guy syndrome is it's just becoming you becoming authentic becoming real it's funny because you would think with all the internet and and what really seems like the disappearance of privacy that that um, something like this would start to get smaller. But I would probably I would probably argue it's going up at pretty quick well, I, rates with Facebook and everything else. You know, everything seems to be getting faker and faker and and less less authentic. Well, and maybe that's what. Maybe that's why people are looking for something real. I, I know my book came out, like I said, about 15 years ago. Um, sales keep going up every year. The royalty checks keep getting bigger every year. <laughs> that's so awesome. it, it's it's spreading. And I've even come to the realization it, it might even be part of the foundation of kind of a, a spreading world's, worldwide men's movement of, of men who I think um, – 
no matter how they come across my book or other materials like it, I really think we men are looking for a tribe. We're looking for connection, connection with other men, direction, focus, discipline, uh, structure, community. And community is so is so core to how we men evolved. And it doesn't matter if, if men come to this through through the pickup community, through um, uh, through you know going through a divorce and finding a men's support group, or through finding a personal trainer, through a coach. It doesn't really matter what what tr- what in our life triggers it. Uh, we go looking, and then the good news is there's so much good stuff out there now. When when I started looking 30 years ago, um, there was you know Robert Bly and Iron John, Michael Mead. You know you would go out in the woods and beat a drum and say ho, and that that's really about all there was. For men looking for tribe or community, and I'm just thrilled that that it's now you know you got Mankind Project, you just got stuff all over the world where where men can go find connection, community, and and tools for becoming not only connected but more authentic, more passionate, more real, and more satisfied in their own lives. What would you say to someone who said that uh, being being themselves isn't working? I, what I usually tell them, where I usually hear this, um, I'll come back to the to answer your question. But where I usually hear it is guys that aren't having very much success dating, and um, and, and the reason I hear that is is that when when I got divorced from my second wife about 15 years ago, uh, after kind of laying off of just women in general for a while, I was burned out. Um, when I did decide I was going to date again, I thought I, I, I need to learn how to do this and become more effective. Uh, I'd been married to two women for a total of 25 years and I shouldn't have dated either one of them more than three dates. But yeah, this, this isn't a, a good, a good way to keep going at it. So I thought I got to become a better picker and I got to become a better ender and I got to learn how to, how to do this dating thing. And so I got actually pretty good at it to where people started asking me, what are you doing? What are you doing? So like most things in life, I, I teach what I had to go out and learn how to do. And one of the core premises I teach men in life, but in dating especially, is be yourself. Give give women a chance to see who you really are. And they'll go, well, you know, I try that. Women just aren't interested in me. And I say, odds are you've never let a woman actually see who you really are. You're so concerned about getting her to like you, getting her approval, you know, not doing anything that might fuck things up to where she's not going to want to get naked with you, that you, you hold everything back. And I, I teach men, be you. Flirt. Act on impulse. Don't hold anything back. Don't pre-censor yourself. Don't pre-reject yourself. And and the truth is, um, a lot of guys out there, as you say, really aren't their real selves. They're this managed self. They're this projected self. They're this self that they think they have to be to get approval. And there's no authenticity. There's no there's no congruence there. And, and people just are not naturally, energetically drawn to people who aren't being themselves. I even say in the book, people are attracted to other people's rough edges. We're not attracted to Teflon smooth people trying to get everything right. And uh, not everybody's going to be drawn. I mean, as we're, we're, there's four, four men sitting here, different parts of the world talking, and, and, and some people are going to like parts of what each one of us say and who we are, and other people are going, eh, you know, I don't get it waste of time. But that's okay. So um, yeah, learning to be who you are really opens the door for a lot of interesting stuff to come your way. Nice. You want to go next, Chase? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my my journey with this entire thing, actually, uh, I got married when I was 19 years old. I was, a mar- I was married for 11 years, and uh, I mostly stayed in that marriage because I was a nice guy. I had to deal with dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. And I had a very large uh, religious, uh, Judeo-Christian religious background as a result, to the point where my family would enforce religious rituals and traditions upon me uh, in order to, you know, enforce the the social norms of the family. And I was conditioned, basically, and allowed myself to be conditioned in such a way where I was seeking the approval of the women in my family and Mm -hmm. then also my church. Uh, it started really early at Sunday school, for example, and then that actually extended outwards into me going to school in general, and it was just an absolute nightmare. And then on top of that, I was almost 300 pounds when I was 15 years old as well going into high school, which was also rough at the same time. And uh, I I started getting healthier, losing the weight and whatnot. And I ended up in college, and uh, I, I met a girl, and uh, I, I married her straight up. And uh, it, it became an interesting situation because I had a lot of addictions uh, in the process. I was addicted to World of Warcraft. I played that for like six years straight. Uh, and uh, I couldn't keep a job to save my life. I would lose jobs over and over and over again. I had no sense of personal responsibility whatsoever. And it was all about her needs. It was never actually mm-hmm. about my needs. And I prioritized her needs more than anything. And yeah. uh, and it came to a point where I was so self-sacrificing that there was nothing there except like this walking scaffolding of a human being. <laughs> or like a husk, you know what I mean? Yeah, so I know. It, it, uh, it, was, it was pretty bad. Uh, and uh, I... It wasn't until I was 27 I had this epiphany, and it's it's what I it's the story of me becoming a man basically. And I was in Vegas, uh, and I walked into a building, a, a a man child, and I walked out of the building, a man basically. And uh, it was the most profound experience I ever had in my life because I came to the conclusion that. I was so absolutely unmistakably miserable that I was finally willing to burn down every aspect of my life and not care about the consequences anymore because anything was better than what I was dealing with. Right. And of course, you know, you have these conclusions in, in strip clubs in Vegas, apparently. So that's just kind of where that came from. And then I immediately went home to my wife, told her about my great time I had at a strip club to her face and told her, quote, if you, uh, you have two. You have to make a decision. Here's your choices. One, you allow me to see other people, or you divorce me right now. You know, I said like I just drew the line. This is like the first boundary I actually enforced in my life. To be honest, uh, you know, you're talking to someone who was beaten all the time uh, in uh, in school by various bullies and whatnot. Never really enforced the boundary before, but this was actually the first time I actually did it. And it wasn't until. You know, it was a few days later that she said, yeah, okay, you're right. You know, our relationship hasn't been working for, you know, the last eight years or so. Then, yeah, go ahead and see other people. Just promise me that you won't abandon me or the children. I said, of course, I'm not going to do that because I have to be responsible as a father, you know, and that's just kind of how it went. And then uh, eventually we ended up divorcing. But 
it, when I got your, my hands on your book, it, it was it, my favorite part of the entire book is the part where it says, oh, by the way, as you're doing what this book says, uh, be ready for it to cause turbulence within your own existing relationships. Yep. And I'm like, hot damn, that's right. <laughs> and no, it's true because I was also doing the entire program while, uh, while I was with my, my current girlfriend, uh, Kim, uh, and uh, she, she was like, you've completely changed. You're a completely different person. She she freaked out. She freaked out so much because I on my way home from uh, uh, from doing like a trade show one time, I stopped uh, at my favorite wine bar and went to the bar by myself and order myself a pizuki, which is basically a cookie dessert by myself. And I and I ate it and it was great. And then I went home and she's like, "Why did you do that?" And she took so um so much umbrage to me because you it. ate a cookie by yourself. Because I ate a cookie by myself. She had such a huge problem with that. You know, it's like, oh, are, 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 are you putting yourself back out on the market? Like she got like super uh, paranoid about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just taking myself out on a date here. You know, I, I, I decided that I wanted a dessert and I was going to go to the place I liked the dessert at. So I ordered dessert and it worked out great. You know what I mean? It, and then I actually saw a movie afterwards too, by myself. Yes, I go see movies by myself because mm -hmm. that's my thing for some reason. Mm -hmm. I like it. But that's that's kind of what started this journey, and I I was already coaching some people, uh, you know, into manhood and whatnot, and sharing my personal experience with my own epiphanies. But it really wasn't until I I because I read your book like four times uh, at least, and then listened to the the audio version another three times when I would go hiking. Mm -hmm. Like I almost memorized it to, to a point. And uh, I realized that it was the, the missing piece or the crux of the whole argument that needed to be maintained because it wasn't just good enough for people to, to understand, you know, my journey to get to where they needed to go because it's, it's, it's my journey. It's not theirs. Right. They needed a framework for them to work with. So when I come to the people that I've been coaching, that's basically what I've done. And I, I the first things first is there, if they're a man, I slap this book right in their face and it's like, you need to read this now. Even people on my YouTube channel, I got, I got women, uh, emailing me all the time complaining about how their husbands are. And I'm like, oh, he's got nice guy syndrome. Read this book so you have some tools with which you can criticize him on. Oh, and by the way, if he doesn't change, and even if he refuses to read the book, that gives you cause to like throw him in the dumpster and move on because why would you be with the man that you don't respect to begin with? You know, yeah. which leads into my core philosophy behind what I'm trying to do at csjoseph.life, which is the, the name of my website or whatever. But the, the core philosophy is this. Men crave respect, women crave love, uh, and uh, it's not good enough to tell a man that I love you. It's never good enough. You have to say I respect you, and because men, sure, they want to be loved, but not as much as they want to be respected. It's a primary, secondary, yin and yang relationship, whereas with women, it's the opposite. Love is primary, respect is secondary, right? And it's this kind of equilibrium within a relationship that exists that needs to be supported. But men are like, well, how do I become respectable? And that, that's so no more Mr. Nice Guy is the answer to that question. How do I gain the respectability? Because a man cannot or a woman cannot be in a relationship with a man unless she respects him first. It's all because the respectability is what makes a man attractive. When we call that nobility in the CSJ uh, community, uh, nobility. And nobility comes from doing the four pillars, needs, standards, boundaries, goals. And then you have self-respect. And life rule number one, as I teach them, above all else, respect thyself. Pythagoras, uh, first 
disappointed, I believe, I think. But uh, the point is they've taken this philosophy and then they've extended it out further to understand the dynamics of relationships, love and respect and that balance, as well as beauty versus nobility between you know uh, women and men. And then it's esteem. Esteem basically fuels the nobility. And I basically tell men – your number one job in life is to esteem yourself and never stop. You can't stagnate. You have to consistently fuel the the uh, the nobility with constant esteeming yourself, constant growth, constant moving in that direction. Because like if a river dries up, everything's going to die, right? So you got to keep moving. So that's kind of what I've been encouraging uh, my community to do is to make sure that they stay moving, that they stay in personal growth, especially with the men. You know, and the women, however especially since we live in this feminist society, they really don't like it when there's some white guy on the internet telling them that they need to be beautiful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is quite frankly, you know, why men are interested in women to begin with in the same way that women are interested in men to get their nobility or to get that respectability that the men have, but the women do not have necessarily because it's a secondary trait. It's not a primary trait, right? So that's kind of the, the like in, in total, you know, where it goes from. But how does one know what the source of beauty is? Because if esteem is the source of nobility, what's the source of beauty? And the answer is humility. And quite frankly, very few women, especially in feminist society, want to hear that. You know, they hear that they have to humble themselves because it's not good enough to just have a fine ass and a nice rack. Yes, that is very important, but that's only half the equation. You have to have that plus have the humility to go with it. Because you give me a Victoria's Secret model, she could have everything I ever want on a physical basis. But if she's arrogant, I'm going to throw her in the dumpster, right? The, like, get out of my house, get out of my life. I can't I can't stand someone being so disrespectful because it's better to be on the corner of one's roof to be in the home with a disrespectful uh, you know, woman, basically, in that regard. And empowering men to understand these things, they've been able to esteem themselves, gain nobility for themselves, and they are able to do um, – and I also teach uh, the philosophy of Robert Moore and Douglas Gillette, king, warrior, magician, lover, mm-hmm. as part of nobility. And uh, uh, you know, and, and king is basically you have your own place, your own car, your own job, right? And you're developing your own purpose to understand your deepest gift. That's also David Data's uh, way of the superior man approach. Uh, and that's basically what king is. You're generating. You're producing more than you consume. Great. Congratulations. You made king. You've made your first step into manhood and towards nobility, which would like make you attractive to women all of a sudden. You know. So once I start that, then I start them on warrior and then get them going on magician, which is where it really ends up being relationships with fellow men and bringing up other men into manhood because – I, and in my opinion, in your book, that was probably other than what you said that this will be very turbulent for your relationships. Establishing a, uh, a primary need to have relationships with fellow men is absolutely critical. Yeah. And I really appreciated how you stated how young boys don't really have that camaraderie with fellow men at all. It's because they are raised by women in society consistently. And that has completely stunted all personal growth and maturity on the part of men, which is why we end up having this feminist society to begin with. And where men lead, women follow, but men don't know how to lead. I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't become a man because of something I inherited from my father. I became a man because I was in the ditch and I had no other choice. And it was either, you know, it's like, I'm in the ditch. Ooh, you know, 
you could commit suicide, which I didn't have suicidal thoughts, but a lot of people end up having those thoughts, right? Or I could actually stand up in this ditch and I'm completely naked and expose the world and it's raining and it's cold and there's cars driving by and no one cares. And you know what? I just have to take every step forward on this road, damn it, no matter what. And that's literally what my personal experience has been and the personal experience of many of those people that I have coached throughout the way. So thank you for making the book because it has really been a very foundational component as to what we're trying to do here in my community and within the men's movement at large. Well, yeah. And so many things you, you shared really are in my mind, such core things. You know, you mentioned boundaries. I was in my thirties and my second marriage, I already had a PhD in marriage and family therapy and I'd never heard of boundaries. And I went to a therapist who uh, either did that with every client she saw or really just could read that I needed some work around boundaries. And that's so core. And, and I teach guys, you know, about living life on your terms, finding your passion. Uh, and as you say, keep, keep living this way, keep growing that way. And that a woman can't follow where a man doesn't lead. And if a man's trying to figure out how to get a woman to like him and how to fit into her life and how to make her happy and how to get her aroused, there's nothing for her to follow. Um, yeah. and, and you mentioned, you know, uh, data, um, probably about a year and a half ago, my, I've, I've married for the third time. My, my wife is Mexican and, and I live here in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And, uh, we don't speak the same first language, but we probably have the best communication of any relationship I've been in. And, but, but, you know, a few months into our relationship, we were struggling and, um, and where I was struggling was my old nice guy patterns were coming up again. I thought, man, this is like deja vu. I'm trying to make a woman happy. I'm trying to please her. I'm trying to, I'm defending myself. I'm getting, I'm following her down her emotional rabbit holes. And, um, and I thought, I, I need some help with this. And really what I needed help with is really what I've been teaching all along. So I went out and found a coach who just happens to have been studying with David Data for the last 10 years. Uh, his name's John Wineland. Um, and joined a men's group that, that he leads as a men's program. And it's just kind of like, I, you know, I you don't quit doing this stuff. I had to get back to the core stuff that, that helped me find me and move forward in the first place. And, and I'll probably be doing that till the day I die. And my wife appreciates the leadership. She appreciates I've gone out and, you know, worked on my stuff. Um, that inspires her. I told her she needed to find a therapist. I had no idea where she would find a therapist in Mexico. Mexicans tend to drink. They don't go to therapy. Um, yes. And she, she came home one day and said, I found a psychologist. And I said, where? She said, it's, it's the, ch the children's school psychologist. And I talked to her and she does private therapy. That's been over a year. She's still working with her. We're working on our stuff. And um, yeah, it just, it doesn't end. We got to keep growing. And kind of as you're indicating, my wife tells me all the time, she's a strong cookie. Um, and, and she's got that, that pride. She grew up eight out of 10 kids in poverty, had to fight, had to scrape, had to, to do whatever she could to get by with two kids with no support of their father. And, uh, and I respect that, but yet she's just this most open hearted feminine creature that, that just loves following where I lead. She says, I'll follow you anywhere. She says, I love it when you tell me no. She says, uh, she calls me jefe. We walk into a restaurant when they hand us two menus, always one in Spanish, one in English, even though I can't read in Spanish. She says, no, only one menu. He's the boss. He'll order. So um, she just loves that 
I'll set the tone and lead. And, and I also love that I can trust her to take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. And we're a team. And I preach that all the time. We're a team. And, um, and, and she loves that. She loves that she, she doesn't have to be the strongest person in the room, uh, that she can relax into somebody else's leadership who she trusts. So, yeah, th- this stuff, there's so many layers to it. And it's just been missing from modern culture of men passing on to their sons. Um, how, how to pursue your passion, how, how to live up to your potential, how to face fear. And, and that's what the one thing I've been saying about the lack of initiation. The world of the masculine is scary. It's scary. And, uh, it, and when I speak to about most men nowadays, and, and it sounds like you are a really good example of it, I say that most men are hanging out in the nursery. They're hanging out trying to get the approval of women. They're playing World of Warcraft. They're looking at porn on the Internet. They're watching TV. They're smoking dope. They're drinking. They're not doing anything that fucking scares them. And that's where really I think we need the tribe of men to support us and have our back to, to, to teach us we can do stuff that scares us. And, you know, if you talk about what turns women on, they're turned on by that guy. They're turned on by that guy that's out there facing his fears, doing the stuff that scares him, you know, being the pioneer, being the astronaut, being the guy that, you know, that is constantly challenging himself. That's what keeps women interested. And having uncomfortable conversations instead of just pretending that everything's okay all the time. Oh, <laughs> man, what good timing. I had an uncomfortable conversation with my wife just before we started this show. And not that it was, it was uncomfortable because of my, my programming. The, I mentioned this men's program that I'm in and an assignment that, that we're working on. Uh, my, my coach calls it uh, feminine reconciliation. And basically where we guys have to go back and, and pick the most significant women in our life. And we've got to write down where we failed to lead, where we failed to bring all of our love, where we, you know, where we failed to accept their gifts, where we failed uh, and how that, the effect that had on the women in our life. And I, I've been kind of pushing back against it because kind of as the nice guy in me, wait a minute, I gave, I gave, I gave, you know, they didn't respond. They didn't respond. And, um, and so uh, last few days, I've been talking with my wife about this project that we're doing. And it's been really great because it's brought up how she's been wounded by women in her life. And I'm talking about how I've been wounded in my life, but where I need to take accountability and learn from that so I can grow in my leadership. And um, as I've started this process, I've noticed in the last couple of days, I've been kind of going into a little bit of an emotional funk. And that's really, really uncommon for me these days. And I'm thinking, I think I'm digging into some some old pains and wounds, even going back to chase the stuff you're talking about. I grew up in a fundamental Christian church. I have two degrees in religion. I was a minister in fundamental church for eight years. My mother trained me to be different from my Pastor's father. Kid. Uh, there you go. Um, yeah, I grew up during the, the radical feminism of the 60s where, you know, every man's a rapist and erection's a sign of aggression. You know, the patriarchy is the cause of all evil in the world. And, you know, I and it's kind of like I'm. I, I, I'm on this journey to go back into some some really old painful stuff, and I felt myself kind of going down in a little bit of a funk. And how my wife interpreted it, um, she was sharing last night. She says, "You know, you 
you know, we haven't had sex in two days. <laughs> and, and her fear is I've got someone on the side. And, and, you know, so today, just before I, you know, we did this show, we actually went up and just laid down for a few minutes. And, and I, I said, I got to tell you, I said, I don't have anybody on the side, but I said, I think I'm a little depressed. I said, I've been telling you about this work I'm doing that I'm going back into a lot of old stuff. And I said, I think it's bringing up some depression and uh, you know, I still feel really close to you, but I just don't feel that. Uh. And she goes, I know, I know you. I said, I, I, I can tell what's going on. And I said, this was actually really hard for me to tell you this. And she goes, and she goes, why? And I said, just because it is. So when you said have these difficult conversations, it was actually difficult to tell my wife, I'm feeling kind of been in a funk and kind of a little bit depressed. It's kind of like, like, She's going to have a negative reaction to that. And actually, it felt liberating. She now understands what's on my heart, what's in my mind, why I seem a little bit preoccupied, maybe a little distant. She says, you know, you touch my boob. And she goes, your hand's on my breast, but I don't feel anything. And I go, I'm sure you're right. I said, I wake up thinking about this stuff. And I, I, I go to sleep thinking about it. So, yeah, the, the fact that you mentioned uncomfortable conversations, but – Man, that's how we grow is doing that uncomfortable stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been looking at lately as I've lately I've been kind of digging into a little bit. I forget the fella's name who wrote um Unfuck Yourself. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but it's in the it's a Scottish guy. Um I I, ha I do have that on my Kindle. I, I think I downloaded every book I could find with fuck in the title. Yeah, they, Start, starting with Martin Manson's and and um <laughs> So uh, I've got it on my Kindle, but I think that's one I haven't. Is that, is that the one that shows a fist or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing him and I've been also reading some Brene Brown and they both kind of um, talk about that concept of that's where you're at your best is when you're, you should always be leaning just slightly out of your comfort zone, whether that's in your work, in your marriage, in your love life, in your day to day, in your podcast, your YouTube, your writing, whatever it is. If you're if you're comfortable doing it, then you're in a rut and you're not good Amen. things happen yeah. to those people that are kind of always on the fringes. And I mean, you don't want to get too far out of your comfort zone all of the time where you're fucking shit up or you're, you know, maybe you you go a little too far, but you should kind of always be living, you know, on the on the edge of it or leaning into it a little bit. I, I think it was uh, the Scottish guy that goes with that leaning into it. Yeah, David Data does talk about that a lot as well. So I, I mean, I'm I, I highly recommend Way of the Superior Man. Chase mentioned that. Um, yeah, I, I'm 62 years old. Um, like I said, a year and a half ago, I married a Mexican woman who's 22 years younger than me with two kids. They're 10 and 13 now, and everybody said, "Robert, what are you thinking? What are you doing?" You know, you know, I've got a granddaughter the same age as my stepkids, and I said, you know. But this woman treats me better than any woman's ever treated me. It's kind of like it's what I've been looking for and finally found it. Why wouldn't I dive all the way into this? And Exactly. And I'm living my life on my terms. I, I bought a house here in Mexico. I'm writing. I, I, I do the work I love. Uh, my wife treats me like gold. I love the kids. I, I, I've had to learn Spanish. I mean, my wife doesn't speak English. She's actually at English class as we speak right this minute. Um, so, I mean, it, it, in my late 50s and early 60s, I've had to learn a second language. Um, but, you know, what else am I going to be doing? You know, you might as well keep challenging yourself. You're That's missing awesome. a lot of good television, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> 
I, I, I can't tell you the last time I saw a television show. <laughs> that seems to be the common thread when you start uh, going down that rabbit hole. It seems like the TV just starts to collect dust. Yeah. Yeah. It's so just, that, well. Speaking of rabbit holes, before we go, much, I wanted to double back on that emotional rabbit hole term you used. Um, Can yeah. you sort of elaborate on that? <laughs> well, it kind of, as Chase pointed out, we, we men and women tend to be different. Um, and uh, so, so let me kind of say something and then I'll, I'll get back to, to the rabbit hole itself. Um, my, my training and my doctorate said marriage and family therapy. So I, I, I've been doing uh, couples therapy, uh, started doing it over 30 years ago. I really don't do much of it now, but a lot that I do still relates to relationship work. I main, mainly focus on men now in terms of my workshops, my seminars, my classes. Um, but, but it is about often men creating and leading in their relationship. Um, and if I was to say, people say, well, what do you think the biggest problem is in, in relationship? Why don't they work? Other than the fact that we're actually not wired for long-term monogamous relationships. Um, they're, 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 they don't work for a number of reasons. Number one, um, men and women have never actually spent a lot of time around each other until the last, the last 50 years. Um, if you go back to our tribal days, you know, the men are out hunting and gathering. The women were kind of close, you know, taking care of the kids, you know, just hanging out till we got back. And then we, you know, we ate, we told stories, we fucked, we went to sleep and went out and did it again. Even a hundred years ago, you know, if, if, if we were a boy a hundred, 150 years ago, we got up, went out, helped dad, our uncles, our cousins with the farm. And, and men were just not around women all that much and, and vice versa. And, and now all of a sudden we're disconnected men from men, women still kind of keep their connections with women, but then we put us in the same house. We're together all the time. And, and so that, that just doesn't work very well. Um, and so we, we, we really do have to be conscious of having healthy differentiating space. I mean, I, I live with a woman and two kids. Uh, I've got my office. That's kind of my space. It's got, you know, doors that I can close and they got French doors. So they, my family can look in and I can wave them in. Um, but you got to have, you got to have some, some space there. But the thing that I think really where men and women struggle the most in intimate relationship is that the woman will be feeling something kind of going back to Chase talking about love being the core, uh, the primal drive, the primal uh, need um, and desire for the feminine is that a woman will feel something and she'll make an emotional statement. The guy will hear it from his kind of intellectual doing machine problem solving brain as a factual statement. And, and, and already we can see where this is going to go. So the woman says, you never say you love me anymore. Or like my wife said yesterday, you know, we haven't had sex in two days. It's actually been about a day and a half and that we'd had it maybe two or three times on Sunday, but on Tuesday evening, we haven't had sex in two days. You know, when you're in Europe, you sent me pictures of your cock, you know, that you were always erect when you sent me pictures. Well, of course I'm always going to send erect pictures. Um, and, and she goes, <laughs> True. You know, and she goes, so my mind's just going like, you know, like, you know, maybe you've got somebody else. So, okay. She's making an emotional statement. She's saying, I feel disconnected. I'm not feeling the flow of love. Now we're actually sitting in the swimming pool as we're talking. I'm on a little raft and she's on, on the steps. We're sitting next to each other. And, 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 you know, I'm trying to listen to it as an emotional statement. And, and the factual part of me goes, 
well, yeah, I fucked you twice on Sunday. And since I got back from Europe, we've been fucking like, you know, animals. And, and yeah, it's been a day and a half. And, and, um, and, and then when the guy responds with the factual statement to the woman's emotional statement, all she, she feels unheard, unvalidated and unloved. And he's just thinking, what fucking planet is she from? You know, of course I love her. I haven't quit loving her just because we haven't had sex in a day and a half. And then all of a sudden, you know, that stuff going round and round. And, and the, the guy is not feeling masterful. He's not feeling respected. The woman's not feeling love. She's not feeling the depth of connection. And all because the man didn't know to hear it as an emotional statement. So going back to the woman's emotional rabbit hole. Um, Women are so highly sensitive and so wired to, to whatever's going on with a guy. Like I was saying, when I told my wife, I think I'm going into an emotional funk over this work I have to do, you know, pulling up old wounds. And she goes, I know. And she's just like, I can tell. I can feel you. I know what's up. And, and it's kind of like she knew it already before I told her. So they're highly sensitive to this stuff. And this is why maybe going back to the whole being authentic thing is so important. Is it, you know, as a guy, we're with a woman. Doesn't matter if it's a woman, you just matter if it's your wife. And if it's your wife, this might not be applicable, but you know, you got gas. And maybe the last one you pass just stunk like hell. And you don't want to pass more gas and you feel it and you're clenching and you're holding back. And the woman senses something. She feels it. She knows there's something going on with you. You're trying not to fart and gross her out and embarrass yourself. And she thinks you're still thinking about the woman's tits that was standing on the corner that you drove by just about you know, a minute and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. That's what she thinks is going on because she has to imagine the worst. Um, evolution, Mother Nature wired her to be a security-seeking creature. And as a security-seeking creature, she's got to imagine the worst possible outcome to be prepared for it. And you're just trying not to fart, and she thinks you're thinking about another woman's tits. And then when she does say something, we think they're so friggin' crazy for the way they think that then, you know, we just get all caught up in their crazy thinking. When maybe the best thing to do is, you know, just you know, go ahead and fart, pull her in tight, tell her how much you love her instead of this thing of, you know, I, I, I got to manage everything. So that's the emotional rabbit hole thing. They, you know, women often lead with their feelings and their feelings control their thinking. And for us men, we think, how come they're so irrational a lot of the time? And, and, and the women are thinking, how come we're so out of touch and disconnected most of the time? And so, if we can just, as men, have some sense to catch what is the emotional statement behind their statement. It's kind of like, uh, just a quick story, my, my wife, I was doing a workshop a couple years ago, and she went to Guadalajara with the kids, and I was doing the workshop here in Puerto Vallarta. I was just about to get started, and she'd been on the bus for about five hours, and we'd been texting back and forth, and she sends me a text right before I'm about to start my, my workshop and says, you haven't told me you love me all day. And I thought, I know that's not true, but I heard the emotional statement. 
She needs to know I'm thinking about her and I love her. So I sent her a bunch of, you know, mushy texts and say, okay, love you, love you, love you. And I got to go about to start. And during my first break from the workshop, I went into WhatsApp and looked at my text. I told her five <laughs> times <laughs> that day, five times. I love you. I took screenshots of every one of them, but I knew enough not to not to go there with her and say, yes, I did tell you I love you five times. But Sunday night, she gets back and we're lying in bed talking and she says, I owe you an apology. She said, you know, I know on Friday I, I said you haven't said you love me, you know, at all. She said, well, I was on the bus tonight. I looked back and yeah, you did tell me you loved me on Friday. I said, I know five times. I got the screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me so, rub it in here a little bit. Yeah, so, but it's playful. We laughed about it. So, yeah, it's that. That's the emotional rabbit hole. You know, I could have argued with her. I've said I've loved you five times, and you know, blah blah blah. Or I can just send her a bunch of loving messages that 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 give her that connection that she's really desiring. Those are great examples. That's kind of what reminds me of the, the way of the Superior Man book. So, I, I haven't read your book yet, Robert, but I uh, stumbled into this like about ten. 10 and a half years ago, uh, out of 12 step, like re, new, new in 12 step recovery. And somebody handed me the way of the superior man. Uh-huh. And that, that sort of changed, like it obviously helped, helped in my recovery being authentic and honest. And it really does, you know, and, and through working, working over it, uh, over the last, uh, 10 years or so, like it, it does come with this freedom and this lightness of, and I don't know if it comes from the honesty part, like, but after, after, you know, lying to yourself for years and being in a couple of rocky relationships where, you know, um, you know, I was the Mr. Nice guy too, but I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm there yet, but definitely, definitely reading Dita's work helped me get to get to a point where being honest and authentic really just frees up so much of your mind and of your of your soul, really, just so you don't have to worry about all this other other crap. I mean, it really has. And I think that yeah. we've we've sort of practiced this in the last five years, Darren. Like, now we're, we're coming to, like, a pinnacle of a little bit of the self-help work. But this podcast has been a, our journey into that as well. Like, we haven't been other people, and we haven't been censored, and we haven't censored ourselves, or we've tried not to. I mean, we make fun of each other and stuff like that. But this podcast has also been a, a journey into that uh, authenticity, I think. Yeah, I, I I hear you. I'm nodding with you. Um, uh, you know, I'll give the example from my own marriage again. My, my my wife, every man she's ever been with has has cheated on her and lied to her. Every man she's ever known has been a serial cheater. That that's no exaggeration. And um, and she knows that I have cheated in in a previous relationship. And and it's really the thing that when I said my second wife said you got to get into therapy. That's what what got it going. And um and I started working on that. And um, every time my wife has some fear that I might be cheating on her because that's her baggage, mm-hmm. man, I just want to tell her, oh, I do not want to go down that that personal rabbit hole of secrets and hiding stuff and managing the truth and not getting caught. Man, that is so much fucking work. Mm-hmm. It is just so much easier. You know, like I say, nothing hidden, nothing half-assed. 
just be you. Just everything's out in the open. I tell her, you could be a little bird flying above my head everywhere I go. And I said, there is nothing about how I live my life that I would be embarrassed for you to, to be watching at any given time. Exactly. And Oh, that's so fucking liberating to just, yeah. everything's out there. You know, yeah, you fuck up, you make mistakes, you know, you, you think, ah, oh, if I had a you know, do-over, I'd do it different this way. But you're still living with integrity, authenticity, and and everything's just out there in the open. It's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, now I'm in a relationship where we are very honest with each other, and we can talk about, you know, she can talk about her friends that are guys and I can talk about friends that are women and it's all open and honest. And the more I support her, the more she supports me. And it's, it's a relationship that I've never thought was even possible really. So it's, uh, and that uh, comes back from this. It does come back to that work. Like the, that David Dita work that I did probably years ago. I really do think it's, it stems from that. Yeah. 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 I, I love you guys are mutually gifting each other. That's how I like to describe that kind of relationship. Um, I, I refer to my, my wife and I have this competition to see who, who can out love the other one. And uh, that, that just feels so fucking good to, to, to know somebody just wants to just keep giving and, and you just want to keep giving back. Yeah. It's yeah, better than the alternative. Yeah, definitely better than the alternative. I mean, an example from my own relationship currently, uh, especially after I finished the the nice guy program all the way through and did all the steps and whatnot. Uh, she she had expressed concerns, you know, that I would be cheating on her and whatnot as well. And uh, I basically explained to her as I like, I'm sorry, but I don't really cheat. What I do is. I would actually get in your face and tell you to get out of my life. And then I would immediately go and be with somebody else. That's kind of my approach to it. It's not about like, oh, I'm going to do something in secret and manage all the lies. It's just so much more easier for me to be honest with you to your face and tell you to get out of my life. And yeah. of course, she was really hurt by me saying that too at the same time. And like, oh, am I not good enough that you would just straight up replace me, you know, like, like that? And I said, it's not about that. It's about like by then a pattern of behavior, like four different issues or something that were just not unresolvable. I have to move on in that situation. But then I also said, but that's not going to stop me from at least giving you the opportunity to remedy the situation either. Of course. I mean, of course. And, and it's when I said that, she's like, oh, okay, yeah, now I understand it. But like David Data said, it's about, uh, it's about being in a, uh, a dance you know, and uh, a dance with the feminine and, and just how to take it in stride. And that's, uh, after reading that, uh, it really helped me keep my relationship in a, a situation where we were kind of in this equilibrium a little bit, uh, where, yeah, I knew that, yes, it was definitely going to be an issue. She will have some emotional issue every single day. It's kind of normal for who she is. I mean, she is a woman, uh, and uh, an NFJ at that uh, for my community. And uh, based on that, uh, she just has to, she can't really express herself to think out loud. She can't do that. So having the talk with me, I'm actually thinking out loud with her. And then she's like, then she comes to her own conclusions. Oh, okay. I shouldn't care about this. That's <laughs> like, okay, I'm just Mr. <laughs> Sounding Board over here. Fine. And, uh, and I don't have to go down those rabbit holes, but earlier in our relationship, I was always in the rabbit holes, constantly doing the nice guy thing, constantly being concerned so much with her emotions where now it's just like, yeah, that's your thing. And I'm not really interested in that right now. We'll have a conversation about it because I love you and I care about you, but 
mm, that's not really a priority right now. I'm sorry. Uh, I've, I understand that you think that's a priority, but let's have a conversation about it. And then she's like, well, tell me how you feel about it. And I'm like, well, if I was in your shoes, this is what I would do. Oh, but that's so heartless or that's so harsh. And I'm like, <laughs> you're, and I'm like, you're absolutely right, which is why I'm happy to say that, you know, I could just move on with that super quickly, you know, and that's like, and I also, I'm able to explain to her, you know, that doesn't make me better than you or that doesn't make you better than me either. It's just our approach, right? And uh, it comes from having that self-respect. And, and it's interesting. She actually told me a couple of days ago how she's actually learned as a result of my example to have self-respect instead of being more people-pleasing, you know, and being like like a nice girl, for example, to other people, right? Because I just stopped doing it. I stopped doing it or I stopped doing it to everybody. And uh, I, it was so profound. I even quit my job actually and got a different job because I realized that I was taking my nice guy syndrome into my career. And mm -hmm. I just, I had to start fresh and, uh, and it was no wonder I was getting passive for promotion to promotion to promotion. You know, I, I understand that people utilize nor Mr. Nice guy as a book. That's about, you know, mostly relationships and whatnot, but there are some serious professional applications that people need to be aware of. You have the, the first class I wrote a class actually before the book was published, Barnes and Noble asked me to write an online class applying principles of the book. And I, and I picked work and career. So I've got, I've got an online class called nice guys don't finish last. They wrought in middle management. So yeah. you're, you're right. The principles apply wherever you're at. And, and, and it was kind of funny. You know, I, I had a client, what, what you're talking about. Sometimes you can be kind of a nice guy in one area, but not so much in another. Uh, most, most nice guys are nice guys everywhere they go. But I, I had a, a woman that I worked with several years ago and, and I worked, her husband came in a couple of times, but she met her husband. He was a cop and she met him when she was a dispatcher in the police department and she fell in love with him, the cop. And she said, but then that once they moved in and got married, he'd come home, take his uniform off. And she said he was such a passive, nice guy, trying to please me, always trying to make me happy, blah, blah, blah no backbone. And she said, I'd have to go on ride alongs with him in his car just to see the man that I fell in love with. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, how <laughs> profound is that, that this woman didn't want her man to, to give up that, that solid, you know, fierceness that she fell in love with when he, you know, when he had his uniform on. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that as you share and, and, you know, I can say the same thing with my wife, as I've said, um, they, they don't want us trying to please them that they don't want us, you know, being their girlfriends. They, 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 they want something different. They want some, they want the polarity. They want the energy. Yeah. They, they want, they want something totally different. Yeah, a, a good example, actually, um, I was on a, a, a Zoom interview recently uh, with some friends, and uh, I'm not sure if Darren, you were on at the time, but uh, one of my friends was watching what was going on in the background, and he actually noticed my girlfriend come by and actually serve me food during the entire thing, and he's like, how the hell did you convince her to do that for you? And I'm like, I don't know, she just does it. Well, uh -huh. Why does she do that? Because she knows that if I'm not fed at a certain time, I'm going to get very cranky and she doesn't like me being so cranky. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, well, how do you get her to care about you being cranky or not? And it's because I have this thing called self-respect, you know, and she understands like I have to meet my own needs, right? If a woman is going to be in my home, she's going to be assisting me in 
meeting my needs too, right? So that's kind of where that is. And if I have to like be meeting my needs on my own and she's like not doing anything, I mean, this is something I've, I've lectured to, to women before in some of my lectures. We have these things called dishwashers. We have these things called washers, dryers, microwaves, appliances. And because of appliances, the role of women in the home is actually very diminished. And a lot of people don't realize this in first world culture, right? And it can be an issue. So if I'm having to put all of this effort into continuing to meet my own needs when a woman would be like a helper suitable, right? For using a Genesis example, a biblical example, uh, if I'm not being helped and assisted in meeting my needs because I'm also meeting her needs, you know, from, you know, from a, a king area, because I'm producing more than I consume, I'm generative for her and I'm, and I'm doing that provisional aspect, you know, as the king of my castle and my home. If she's not being a queen right there with me, if she's not being a life giver in that role, if she's not assisting in meeting my needs, then what's the point of having her around to begin with? Right. And I'm very pragmatic about that. And I, and I explain that to, you know, my friends, you know, this is why she serves me in this manner. It's not because I'm just some high chair tyrant who's demanding to be served all the time. And yes, I do serve her in a lot of other capacities as well. And, and yes, we do kind of have an equilibrium trade uh, component to that. But the difference is, is that, you know, if you're not going to be helpful, then we can't really have a relationship there. You know, it's, it comes back to, it's, it's not about you. Right. And it's not about me either, but it's, it's, it's a difference. You know, you have to understand that, yes, I have self-respect, but mutual respect goes a long way in that area. And then, you know, all of a sudden my friend's like, oh yeah, okay, now I understand. And that's something that I would want for my relationship, et cetera, which I ended up coaching him later with anyway. And that was really fantastic and how that worked out. Uh, but based on that example, uh, what would you say uh, is really important, uh, you know, when when you have women who are in relationships with nice guys, basically, because I get that all the time from my audience on a regular basis. Uh, what do you do? Because currently I've been telling them, hey, read uh, Dr. Robert Glover's book, and then you have some tools with which you can actually criticize uh, your man on. And if he doesn't change or if he's not willing to uh, do the book, then you understand that you have every right to you know, end your relationship and move on. And I've actually coached people to divorce. It's, it's odd, but I have, I've done it. Um, I was coached to divorce and I'm glad I, uh, uh, from my, uh, nice guy syndrome mentor, uh, at the time in, uh, in uh, the Sacramento area of California, he had recommended that I definitely go forward with it. And he was absolutely right. So based on that, what would you recommend to women who find themselves in those situations? What, what can they do? Okay. Uh I want to go two ways. I want to talk about needs. Well, let's talk about the situation with women. And by the way, when you're talking about being the king, this is upside down for those of you that can see it on the screen. And it's in Spanish, but it's a crown and it says El Rey. And El Rey is the king. It's a tattoo yes. on my forearm. My wife has a very similar one on her left hand arm. She's left-handed. She's Surya. Uh, La, you say, La Reina. And it has a little different looking crown. It was her idea. She made the appointment for us to go get tattoos that said uh, the king and the queen. And, and, and she, she just really likes that. Um, so I want to talk about needs, but let me come back to it. Cause I told you, you know, when we were talking a little bit before we started the show, I'd say something about uh, um, cooperative reciprocal relationships. And I want to come back to that around needs because it's so core with nice guys with women. Here's the deal. 
I, I heard David Data say one time at a workshop, and I didn't discover his book till after I'd written my book, and people kept recommending, <laughs> got to read this, got to read the book, Way of the Superior Man, Way of the Superior Man, and I thought, uh, for some reason, it, you know, I, I don't know if I thought the title was just so weird. Yeah. It finally, it dawned on me that I thought, you know, okay, my book's got an equally, you know, odd title, so I'll, I'll pick it up and read it. And and I, I was, I this was maybe about two years after my divorce, so, you know, about 13 years ago. And my book had been out a couple of years. And I remember reading this and I was dating a woman at the time. I was in a relationship and I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, this is my new Bible. This, this book is got such a good book and to no more Mr. Nice guy. And I started telling the woman I, I was dating about it. Um, well, waving at my stepdaughter that just had to come in and look through the glass window of my office. Um, and but I, so I, I've been to you know a few of Data's workshops, and I, I remember him saying one time, this really struck me, that if a woman tells a man what to do, and he does it, she's actually forced him into his feminine. She, she's the one leading and doing. He's the one following the lead. So uh, your, your question, Chase, is, is kind of a challenging one in that, okay, if a woman says, like my ex-wife said to me, you know, if you don't go get some therapy, I'm leaving. Well, at that time, I didn't want her to leave, so I went and got therapy. And I, But at some point, I had to make that about me. I was doing this because it was for me, not just because I thought she would leave me if I didn't do it. If I kept going to therapy purely because she told me to and she's going to leave me, nothing would have ever changed. In, in a sense, she would have still been running the show. I still would have been you know, subservient, submissive, and, and, and frightened. But at some point, it turned to where it, it became about me. And, and what I needed to work on for me. So there, there is kind of this, um, I don't know what, what the good word would be, but it, it's kind of like if a woman would go to say to her husband or her boyfriend, you're a nice guy, you got to stop being a nice guy. All of a sudden, she just pushed him further into his nice guy, right? Oh, no, I've got to do this. I, I got to become a different kind of nice guy, you know, to please her and make her want to stay with me. But what I, what I generally tell women is just give them a copy of the book. That's all. Just give them a copy of the book. I, you know, I, I love hearing how people found my book. And nowadays, you know, you're pretty common. Guys say a friend gave it to me. Somebody in 12 Steps gave it to me. My coach, my therapist gave it to me. A lot of guys tell me a woman gave them my book. And often the woman is an ex. A lot of exes find the book and say, oh, really? My ex-husband, wow. my ex yeah, because, you know, they must have cared about the guy in the first place or they wouldn't have been with him. And they're probably not still with him because he is such a nice guy <coughs> and, yeah. and, and they don't want him to keep suffering. So a lot of guys have said, have told me exes gave them the book and I've had guys say their girlfriend, their, their wives gave them the book. So that's my advice to women, because if you try to lead him out of it, it's just perpetuating the same system that already exists of right. him him sacrificing self and trying to please woman. And okay, now she wants to lead this direction. Okay. If I want her to be happy, I got to follow that direction. And, and not only will she not be happy because he's not leading, but he'll probably do one of two things that most nice guys do whenever confronted with any kind of authority. And this is what we learn to do in childhood. 
either go underground with what they really think, feel, and want, just keep it all hidden, and kind of the proverbial ask for forgiveness rather than permission, but everything's underground and hidden because we're afraid of saying what we really want, what we really think, what we really feel, what we're really going to do, or the nice guy will push back. He'll do the oppositionally defiant thing. And most nice guys don't. The, what I call the I'm so bad nice guy might. And this is what some kids learn to do to, to have some sense of self when their parents are controlling every aspect of their life is, you know, fuck you. Whatever you want to do, I'm going to do the opposite. So if the woman is trying to lead this thing, the guy is probably going to go along on the surface but still hide stuff from her underneath or be resentful and or just oppositionally defiant push back. So the best thing I know is just say, hey, I heard about this book on YouTube or I heard an interview or my girlfriend told me about it or my therapist recommended it here and don't say another word about it. Just put it on the table. Let him do what he's going to do. Fair enough. I uh, I will definitely uh, make that adjustment in my recommendations moving forward because I could definitely see the value of that. I never considered uh, pushing them in their feminine side, actually. That's actually a really good point. So uh, I will uh, make the changes necessary for that. So that's what? a great uh, addition. And, and, and believe me, I don't know if this is the right answer, but it's the best one I've got right now. Yeah. That- the, to to if if it, if the woman truly is wanting to serve her man in this way and wanting to empower him to serve her, that's probably the best way I know to do it. What about her reading it? Yeah, by all means. Um, it's funny. Well, nice guys are funny. Um, I, a lot of guys will say, "Hey, I'm reading your book. I love it." Or I'm in this group. Blah blah. My therapist gave me the book. What do you think of giving my wife a copy of the book or should I let her read it? Yeah. And I'm going, by all means, remember, this is all about being authentic. Everything's out in the open. And, and if you're still afraid that your wife might have a reaction because you're reading a self-help book, um, man, you got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. If, if your wife has a negative reaction to you doing work that betters you as a person, you may need to get to rejection quickly with that woman and find out that's not a good match for you. Um, I mean, I want to be with someone that is supportive of every aspect of my growth process. Now, she may not understand it, and it will scare her. Anytime anybody in a relationship makes a change, it will scare the other partner. It's the unknown. We don't know what's coming next. Um, you know, like I said, at 30 years working as a therapist, every time somebody comes to start therapy with me, I would always ask them, how does your partner feel about you coming to therapy? Well, you know, they've been encouraging it, but actually today when I came, they told me they were kind of scared. Yeah, it's the unknown. So, um, so I tell guys, yes, by all means. And if you really want to, you know, guys say, I've, got, I've been through the book two or three times and it's filled with all my yellow highlighters. Give that version to your wife. Let her see what, what you're reading and what's striking your attention and, and let her know you. That's that authenticity again. Let her know who you really are. Can you, you were going to cycle back to the needs too? The needs. Let's do that. Um, you know, um, 
Chase was saying just before we started the four pillars that he he teaches in his program and said he based it on no more Mr. Nice Guy and man, just all of them sounded good. He talked about needs and said, oh, maybe some someday I'll tell you about, uh, I, I always mix up how I say it. Sometimes I say cooperative reciprocal relationship. Sometimes I say reciprocal cooperative relationship. But I think cooperative reciprocal relationship sounds best. It's got the, the best flow to it. Um, when I talk with nice guys about getting their needs met, um, it, typically they get this deer in the headlight look. Um, nice guys got a big issue around needs. Most of us grew, grew up believing we're bad for having needs. Everybody else's needs are more important than ours. One of our core covert contracts, and we'll, we'll probably need to talk about the three covert contracts of nice guy syndrome sometime while we're yakking here. But one of the covert contracts is if I meet your needs without you having to ask, then you will meet my needs without me having to ask. <laughs> but, uh, and as you can just, it doesn't take a rocket science to see that that's not a very good plan for getting your you needs. Scratch back. my back. I'll scratch yours. But I'm not, but I'm not going to tell you that's the plan. You know, yeah. I, I'm just going to try to read your mind, do what I think you want. And then you'll read my mind and do what I think I want. Not a very good plan. It's not very effective. But even the bigger problem is nice guys are actually terrible at, at, at receiving. Again, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel anxious, like we're doing something wrong, that we're going to owe somebody something, that they're going to get mad at us. Um, and I've had to deal with all of those pieces around getting my needs met. And so when I talk with nice guys and say, okay, you need to, you need to make you your number one priority. You need to make filling your bucket the number one priority in your life. Uh, and I remember the first interview I ever did on television was with Bill O'Reilly. I didn't even know who Bill O'Reilly was. This is, you know, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and I, and I brought that up and he just like, you know, took me to task with it. And, and I handled my own, you know, pretty well around the subject so well that Barnes and Noble gave me a book contract <laughs> after that interview. So, but, but that is so core. The, my definition of an adult is somebody who takes full responsibility for getting their needs met. Um, this is a, the differentiated, uh, integrated adult. Now, as children, we couldn't. We were dependent on everybody else to figure out what our needs are and meet them. And to me, that's the difference between being a child and an adult. We now take full responsibility for them. Now, the thing is, we can't do that in isolation. We can't do it all by ourselves. We need other resources. You know, I've mentioned a little bit, you know, our, our tribal days. You know, we, we tend to think that, that we humans relate to it. We've always related to each other in the way we do, always lived in a world that we live in. No. You know, for a million and a half years, we were tribal. We were nomadic. Maybe for about 10,000 years, you know, we've, we've been agrarian and owned stuff and, and, but so was wired into us is the tribe met all of our needs. We worked together as a, as a cooperative reciprocal unit for everybody to get their needs met. It meant if you were the hunter, the gatherer, or the person having the baby or the person keeping the fire burning, everybody worked together. So in order to get our needs met, we have to take responsibility for creating what I call cooperative reciprocal relationships. And what I often tell people, have people do, it's real simple, get a piece of paper out, draw yourself as a stick figure in the middle of that, that piece of paper, and then draw out a bunch of two-ended two arrows, 
going out from you. Uh, two tipped arrows, arrow that way, but it's the same arrow comes back to you. And then draw a bunch of little circles at the end of each of these arrows. These are your cooperative reciprocal relationships. These are where you and another person or organization both are getting some need met by having a connection together. Right now, we have a cooperative reciprocal relationship. All of us are getting some need met by being here together in this space and time. If it wasn't meeting some need for everybody here, this would not serve a purpose. At least one of us would say, eh, I'm out of here. It, it's, it doesn't serve me in any way. I'm not getting anything out of it. And as adults, we have to take responsibility for consciously creating these. Now, these can be our friends. Um, they, they can be a life coach. They can be a personal trainer. It can be our dentist. It can be our doctor. It can be our accountant. It can be a lawyer. It can be a church group. It can be a men's group. It can be our partner. But all of these relationships, they have to be reciprocal and cooperative. There has to be a flow where everybody involved is getting something of value out of it. Like with my clients, you know, they pay me money so I can pay my bills and I give them, you know, whatever wisdom or resources I can to help them have a better life. And as long as that's working great, we're all happy and we can consciously decide how long to continue in that relationship. If it were to quit working, we would need to talk about it, either adjust it or say, eh, it's not working. Let's end it. And life, that's how life works. We will have many, many, many cooperative reciprocal relationships in our lifetime. And hopefully these keep evolving. Um, and, and so I reason I have people do this little diagram is to, to sit down and, and put down every reciprocal relationship you can think of, whether that's your mom, your dad, a brother, a sister, you know, this best friend, that best friend, your partner, uh, you know, work relationships, church, your doctor, your lawyer, your dentist, your chiropractor, your massage therapist, your personal trainer, whatever, you know, put out all the ones you can think of and then do a couple of things. One, the first one is to evaluate them. How are they working? A lot of them might be dead wood. A lot of them might have worked at some point. A lot of them might have worked when you were a more dysfunctional you or the other people involved were a more dysfunctional you or you were a more fused you like as a child with your parents. And maybe they need to be re, um, renegotiated, reevaluated. You need to have a conversation. You need to rework them. So some of them need some reworking. Some of them need to be chopped off. They, they don't serve anymore. They just... They bring nothing to anybody. So let's, 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 you know, just step up and cut them off. So one thing we need to do is keep evaluating the, the, the reciprocal relationships that we have. How are they doing helping us get our needs met? And how are we doing helping them get their needs met? And then the other thing that we need to periodically do is to, to be thinking of what is still lacking or missing from this diagram. What would make my life easier more empowered, um, more pleasurable, more enjoy. What what's missing from there? Sometimes it's adding a professional in there. Okay, I need to get an accountant, or you know, maybe need to change accountants. Or um, you know, for me, I needed more guy friends in my life. I, I live in Mexico. You know, I'm 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 married. I got kids. You know, and and I, and I needed guys. So I went out, and a men's group found me. And you know, we've had two workshops. We've been to. We meet every other week online. I formed friendships. I recognized I was missing 
some of these things on my diagram of having guys in my life. So I consciously went out and did that. This is how I get my needs met. Now, in the healthiest relationships, the, the man and woman, or if it's two guys or two women, however, you know, you form relationships, hopefully those two people are both have a lot of their own reciprocal cooperative relationships or cooperative reciprocal relationships. Uh, they have a lot of, of their own and each other is just one more cooperative reciprocal relationship where there's that arrow going back and forth. In dysfunctional relationships, what tends to happen is these two people don't have very many of these reciprocal relationships. They get fused with each other. And now the attitude is, you know, you're my boyfriend, you belong to me, therefore you should fill in the blank. Or you're my girlfriend, you're my wife, you belong to me, you, therefore you should. And we expect our partners to fill all of these needs and they can't. They just can't. Yeah. And when they don't, then we start getting resentful and pissy. And then because we're not getting our needs met very well, then we usually go underground and go get them met in some secretive hidden way. Or we drink, we do drugs, we look at porn, we flirt, we gamble, whatever. We do the stuff that doesn't serve us well. Now, so if I can get all adults to, to have this model of how to get their needs met. And then when they form a relationship, it looks like what you were talking about, Chase, and what it looks like with my wife as well. She loves serving me. I love serving her. Um, but we don't serve in exactly the same ways. And that's why I stress right. we're, we're a team. And, and, you know, I grew up kind of with all kind of the feminist noise out there that, oh, relationships need to be 50-50. And whenever yeah. a woman is saying, you know, no, the relationship needs to be 50-50. Well, there, there's, I found that there's two times that women's math skills go to hell. One is when they're dividing up household chores. The other is when they're getting divorced. 50-50 takes on weird proportions. And so yeah. it's never 50-50. You know, if you use a sports analogy, you, you know, if you have a football team, you, the center and the quarterback don't trade jobs every position. They do what they do best, and they do it together for the good of the team. And, and that's true in business and it's true in relationship. And, and my wife and I have different gifts and different talents. We can both do a lot of the same things. We can both cook. We can both wash dishes. We can both drive the car. We can both take the car to the mechanic. But there are certain things that I do really well and love doing. And there are certain things she does well and loves doing. And we gift each other in that way. And I, I, we both have these our relationship is that cooperative reciprocal relationship. It's not the, okay, you're my wife, you should do this, or you're my husband, so I expect you to do this. It, those words never get said in our relationship. So there you go. There's my, my little spiel on cooperative reciprocal relationships. Awesome. Do you want to cycle into the covert contracts? I know we touched on at least one of those. What do you think, Chase? Yeah. Covert? Yeah. The joke is, yeah, like I said, the guy that, that read my book originally, I called them covered contracts. Um, so luckily, I, I, I have now recorded an audio version of No More Mr. Nice Guy. So if you go on Amazon to buy it, both versions are still available. Make sure you find the one that says written and read by Dr. Robert Glover. Okay, covert contracts. And when I, it was really good for me to go to New York this last November and read the book for the, the audio version because, it, you know, it really got me deep into the book again. It had been a little while since I'd spent a lot of time with it. And you know, I spent several years with it while I was writing it. Um, and 
and one of the things I realized is I don't spell out covert contracts this clearly. Uh, I finished writing the book about 20 years ago, and I've continued to work on me and continue to work with nice guys. So my knowledge and, and my ability to communicate about it has grown. But so th this is not as clearly as I'm going to tell you right now, it is not this clear in the book, um, but it's core because a lot of people tell me that is the main takeaway of No More Mr. Nice Guy is how nice guys use covert contracts to run their life. So here are the three core covert contracts of nice guy syndrome. Number one, if I'm a good guy, then I will be liked and loved. Uh, that's number one. And they're all an if-then proposition. And they're all unconscious, and nobody else knows they exist, by the way. And often the nice guy doesn't know they exist. So for the heterosexual nice guy, if I'm a nice guy, then people will like me and love me, and the women I desire will desire me back. And, and we, if we want, at some point, we can talk about what I call nice guy seduction. Um, so that's covert contract number one. Covert contract number two. Uh, if I meet everybody else's needs without them having to ask, then they will meet my needs without me having to ask. We already kind of dove into that one. <coughs> Excuse me. Covert contract number three. If I do everything right, then I will have a smooth, problem-free life. Now, none of these work for a number of reasons. Number one, going back to the first covert contract, you know, who, who determines if you're a good guy? Are you, are you the scorekeeper? Are you the referee? Are you the one, Hey, I'm a good guy. I do everything right. You know, everybody should like me. Okay. And number two, not everybody's going to like you. You know, they hung Jesus on a cross and I think he was probably a pretty good guy. Um, so not everybody's going to like you. So that covert contract is very flawed. We've already talked about the second one. If, if, if I read your mind and meet your needs, then you'll read mine and meet my needs. Very flawed. Doesn't work. And the third one, that if I do everything right, I'll have a smooth, problem-free life. Number one, again, how do you know if you've done everything right? Chase, you've mentioned kind of, you know, growing up in uh, a religious background. I did too. But, you know, hell, there's disagreement in this world about which, which book's the right one even, which yeah. is the right way to do it. And you can get Christians – disagreeing about what the Bible says and Jews disagreeing about what the, 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 um, the, the, the Torah or the Talmud Talmud says. And so you, nobody, what, what's the, what's the rule book that says how to do it right? It doesn't exist. There is no rule book that says how to do it right. And even if you did everything right, this world is not smooth and problem free. This life is chaotic. This life is ever changing. So the three covert contracts Pretty much all they do is keep the nice guy stuck and frustrated and resentful and, and playing a shitload of World of Warcraft and wasting their life. So those are the three. You know, I, I, I love going with the World of Warcraft analogy. I dated a woman for about four years and her 35 to – during that time, he was about 35 to 40-year-old, her brother um, – came home every night from work and probably played about six or eight hours of world of Warcraft and, um, hadn't had sex probably in 15 or 20 years. Um, so that, that's why I, 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 world of Warcraft is my go-to, uh, you know, but anyway, so those covert contracts are, are they're, they're, they're an unconscious roadmap that the nice guy believes should work 100% of the time. And unfortunately they never work. And in typical nice guy fashion, when it isn't working, we just double down on the same strategy and just try harder and um, get more frustrated and more resentful. So what, what about when, when that one of the contracts that's, that happens uh, naturally? Like I, I feel like 
the more I meet my girlfriend's needs or support her, the more she reciprocates. But I, but I don't do it with an expectation there. So mm-hmm. is there a natural process where that does happen? And if you take away the expectation and then sort of the need for it, that it, that it works? Yeah, it, it does. And I, I think, I think this is dependent on two things. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. Two things. One is a little bit of luck and two, good communication. Yeah. And the little bit of luck, I think, is when we're talking about an intimate relationship. Let's say we're a man and a woman or two men or two women, whatever, happen to bump into each other. And, the, and they both, you know, are, are pretty good at, at just being who they are. Being who they are seems to bless their partner. You know, how they like to give seems to be well received by their partner. And um, I, I've really come to the conclusion after many, many years of both being married and being a marriage therapist that I I think the luckiest people on this planet, I put my wife and I in this category are when two people get together who speak the same love language. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah. My, my wife and I are, are almost identical in our love language. We both like to be appreciated. We both like touch. Um, we both like physical affection. We both like words of affection. Um, it, it's kind of like we're mirrors of each other. And, and, and this is, a, for us, a really good thing because I've seen so many couples where they don't have the same love language. Yeah. For, for one, being appreciated is their love language. For another, doing things for somebody gifts, is their love yeah, language. Yeah. Or giving gifts. Or, and, and, they, and we all have a, our own love language w- without being aware of it. And I've asked so many men um, if they know what their wife's, their girlfriend or wife's love language is. And often I just get a blank stare like, huh? You mean she's not just like me? She, you know, she, she is, doesn't feel loved from exactly the same things that make me feel loved? And, and no, so I think there's some luck there that if you get two people or at least two people that are conscious enough to figure out their partner's love language and it's easy for them to give in that way, even if it doesn't come 100% just kind of naturally to, to consciously be able to do that. But if both people, if that's just kind of their natural inclination to love in that way, um, you know, my wife and I are like a couple bonobos. We're always touching and loving and kissing on each other. And, you know, the kids are always making noises at us. And then they often come and touch and kiss and hug on us as well. So it's, it's just, it, it seems to be the love language we've got. It's not my mother's, for example. My mother is not physically affectionate. Uh, she will not give me a hug um, on her own. Every time I hug her, she hugs back. She will not say I love you unless I say it first. Mm-hmm. Her, her way of showing love is by doing things for mm-hmm. people. And when people do things for her, she feels loved. So, okay, I've learned that about my mother. So I know how, how to make her feel loved by, by what I can do for her. Um, so th- that's the first piece is if you're lucky enough that you got two people that like giving. And, and, and like sh- expressing their love. And, and there's that nice reciprocal flow to it. And the second would involve some degree of communication uh, where we're not having to guess what, what our other partner wants. And so we can actually be clear, you know, I feel loved when you do this, or, um, you know, it hurts me when you do this, 
There's even tests these days. You guys can go online and do a test together. It's like 50 questions, and it'll kind of give you a little... Well, we did We did it. I mean, he's hitting it right in the head, because yeah. we did it, and we're, our love languages match almost perfectly. Like it The really two of is, you. Yeah. Not me no, and no, him. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> we should do ours. I, I, noticed, I noticed that about Easy. you. I, from this little picture I can see of you guys, See? I can tell that you just had a lot of love flowing between oh, you. Yeah. I, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> So, Come on, so, throw Brody in there while you're at it. <laughs> bro jobs so, you know, all over the place. And, and like I said, my wife and I really do joke about, you know, we, we have a daily contest to see who can outlove each other. And um, and it's just by doing all those little things that, that we each know the other person uh, just thrives on. And, um, and it, it's not hard. It's not work. It's fun. And, yeah, as you said, if there's no attachment to an outcome, if there's no agenda, if it's just this, this freely offered flow, um, it, it, it does. It's like a teeter-totter. It just kind of keeps going up and up. I know it's not a perfect example because teeter-totters don't keep going up and up. But, you know, one goes up, then, then the other goes up. And just imagine that the base keeps rising as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Less than perfect example or metaphor. But, yeah, it's it, – you just want to keep giving the other person more love because of how loved you feel by them. Yeah. Bingo, bango. So I wanted to, uh, do you have another follow-up? No, 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 that's it. I wanted one thing I wanted to touch on. Um, I was wondering because the book I read, actually the book I read right before I read yours was, uh, Jordan Peterson's, which was kind of, um, not the same line, but definitely was a very good precursor to your book because that kind of yeah. I, I I don't talk about lobsters in my books. So yeah, that's that's one way. <laughs> yeah, that's right, and I think that other one's more. Uh, like I say, it's a good precursor. It's more of uh, of uh, I don't know for beginners. Yeah, for beginners in a lot of ways. I was wondering if you had an opinion on uh, Peterson and some of the flack he's been taking, and and uh, just if you've read the book and what you think of it. I am smiling, I, and I'm not sure why this is, and this probably isn't the last time uh, this is going to happen. I've probably been asked at least five times in the last month or two uh, what my thoughts are on Jordan Peterson. Um, and, and I have to say, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I've read a few articles about him. I do have the book. I have started his book uh, as one of those ones I kind of started and uh, then got distracted by some other books. The last half um, is better. <laughs> okay, I'll keep reading then. Um, and a few of the articles I've read, and, and because I've been the focus of some articles in the past, not a lot, where where the journalist had a bent and and kind of a, how they wanted to portray me, which I didn't understand why. Um, and I, I've read a few that I think kind of done that to him as well. Um, I think he, best I can tell is that he kind of violated maybe one of the biggest sacred cows in Western culture, which is uh, organized uh, feminism. And he's kind of taken it yeah. on. And, and I think he, he, he's pissed off uh, a group of people who don't like being disagreed with or challenged on their perceptions. Now, it also sounds like he's got some ideas that on the surface sound a little out there. Um, but I probably do as well. So I, I think I'm going to have to finish reading his book and kind of dive in a little more into some of the YouTube videos that people keep telling me I need to watch and, and get my own feel because um, 
and 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 the, and the closest connection, I, I guess, I have two degrees or maybe one degree of separation from Jordan, is that in an article about him, I I, I get those little Google messages. If if my name or no more Mister Nice Guy shows up anywhere in the news, I get a Google alert for that. And I got one, and it was an article um, in, in a fairly fairly mainstream, well known. Uh, I think it was Huffington Press, even if I remember right, about him, where they quote me. Um, and they, the quote they have of me, they actually took from an interview I did with The Guardian, and they just took it and, and quoted me like, you know, they did actually interviewed me for the, this story. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't have any real issue with how they quoted me other than they, they plugged it into their own context and made like there was a connection between Jordan and I, when there is absolutely none. And so... Um, that's about the closest connection I've got to him. So since I keep being asked about him, I, I, I need to go dig in a little bit more. So tell me why you guys asked, um, you know, what my thoughts are about Jordan. You want to go first, Chase? Uh, sure. And uh, this is a little bit controversial because uh, on my own YouTube channel, I've actually offered some criticisms of uh, Jordan Peterson with which my audience, some of them did not uh, – Oh, so you're not allowed well. to criticize Jordan now? Just yeah, like Jordan yeah. I, I, Jordan himself has become the sacred cow after criticizing the uh, sacred cow, apparently. And it's I've actually offered of some. Uh, yeah, I've actually offered some criticisms as a result. Although I do agree with what he's trying to do with the men's movement and his approach uh, to uh, how he's doing. Um, I, I call I call his book Twelve Rules for Life the the gateway drug into uh, the men's movement basically and going into that direction. Is it something that I would have a uh, use as a foundation for a complete philosophy? Not necessarily. I, I'd rather I'd rather use uh, uh, Robert's book for that purpose because it has it really exposes that phenomenon that is really uh, getting that undermining the the mature masculine in first world culture and actually technically the world as we know it. Uh, funny, funnily enough, as a sidebar to that, I have a few uh, uh, Asian uh, viewers actually who have made comments about how after I recommended uh, Robert's book uh, to them that they're seeing their lives change. And so it's not just in first world society. It's not just in Western society that this is a problem, right? Oh, by, by the it's, way, I, I get lots of email from guys in India and Pakistan, you know, where, where, yeah, at least where, where, where English is spoken, um, especially in really, really fused cultures where, where the boys are raised to be exactly how their families want them to be. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I actually had a a Russian woman recently uh, email me and said, "Why do I need to re read this? This is already normal here." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just interesting how how culture changes it." Um, but but back to Jordan Peterson. Uh, yes, uh, my position on him is that his book is definitely a great uh, thing to start with and uh, something I'd recommend. Uh, to uh, people that I do coach because I recommend uh, Robert's book. I also recommend David Data's book, uh, The Way of the Superior Man. And I also recommend 12 Rules for Life. Uh, and I'm starting to read now, uh, as per uh, someone who's recommended it to me, The Boy Crisis. And I think I might add The Boy Crisis to those four books uh, as the Who, initial books. Who's that written by? I, I don't remember. Let me check on my list here. It is... Going back to my chat logs here, seems to be written by. I got the right one. 
Oh yeah, uh, Warren Farrell. Yeah, Warren I, Farrell. Yeah, I know. I know Warren Farrell. I got to get that one now too. Nice. Always more books. Speaking of books, what books? Yeah. Uh, actually, before we, I wanted to touch on uh, through with a, a lot of the the online literature porn keeps coming up. Um, kind of there's this, there's, this there's sort of unseen, the yeah, yeah, and it seems to be <laughs> this sort of unseen epidemic. Can you kind of touch on, um, like even to the point where, when you look into marriage counseling and stuff these days or regular counseling, even for yourself, that question seems to be on the top of their list. Are you watching porn and how much are you watching? So I was wondering. It's, good, it's, it's a good question to ask for going into marriage counseling. So did we finish up on Jordan, Jordan Peterson? Yeah, um, I think so. That's I don't know. I don't know if we need to go deeper. No, that's good. The funny thing is you mentioned books, like another book to add to your list. Uh, I'll say this and I'll answer your question. When, when my agent and I were shopping, no more Mr. Nice Guy 20 plus years ago, um, a lot of big publishing companies, the editors that read it, liked it. And many talked to me personally, said, I like your book. It's well-written. I think it's a valuable book. But our marketing department says men will not buy a self-help book. Ah. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know if that was just their heads up their asses at that time because yeah. they, didn't, they didn't publish any for men. But every guy I know, they just like, you know, maybe Amazon has made this possible. You know, every time you hear about a book, you just go on Amazon and order it. I, I know guys that don't quit buying self-help books. So, um, yeah, that, that that's just when you yeah, said. Kinda one of them. <laughs> I think before you get into the I'm next question. I think the the main reason I brought up the Peterson thing is because I feel like with the Rogan exposure and and that debate he had on that that British channel with uh, Kathy whatever her name is, um, he's kind of created this giant wave with his book now, which is I think the last time I looked, I'm pretty sure he's now the greatest selling author in Canadian history. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. He, it, like I said, even the fact that. Probably, like I said, this is the fifth time I've been asked about him in a month and a half, just either in casual conversation or interviews. Yeah, he, he is a big deal right now. So yeah, and I, I kind of get... foresee people finishing his book and kind of going through some of his stuff and then kind of looking around and being Good. like, you know, what's next? And there's not a lot, because that, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, there's not a whole st lot of stuff out there for men specifically, other than, well, I mean, it's, I've it's, found it's two growing. or three. It's, it's, it is growing, but yeah, th th there's, there's a fair amount out there. I mean, Mark Manson's real popular right now. Um, his book, the, you know, the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah, was, yeah. was number one on, on self-help books till Brene Brown's newest book knocked it off about six months ago. Um, Mark mentions my book and his first book. And so he's, he's probably sold me a lot of books just through that connection. Um, his chapter so on responsibility was super powerful. Yeah, and, and I like his stuff. Uh, the, the thing is, when, when I read Mark, I like it. He and I've talked some. I, I always feel like I've, you know, I've been being hit by a big stick upside the head the whole time I'm reading the book. You know, it's kind of like you know, okay, here's that big stick, big stick. Okay, I don't need the big stick the whole time. I got it the first time, um, but but I, I love his stuff. And so men really, you know, all the time people ask me if I know Mark Manson, Jordan Peterson. So that's the stuff that guys are reading out there. Um, and more, I, I know more and more guys, men who are writing books, like I said, John Wineland, the coach I work with, who's a, a devotee of David Data's uh, working on one of masculine leadership. Um, another, um, uh, what's his name up in Vancouver, BC, another fellow Canadian. Uh, he brought me up to do a workshop last fall. Oh, 
I'll think of his name, but he's working on a book on masculine leadership. So there, there's just a lot more out there. So I'm thrilled. I, I'm happy. I, I hope maybe my book in some way kind of opened the floodgates that, that, you know, it made it okay to publish books. And but especially now that you can self-publish um, that because guys, I, I was going to say guys like to read, which is, kind of a little bit of a misstatement. A lot of times guys like to listen. Uh, a lot of guys don't read very well, so they, they at least listen to books. So they, they like to consume books. Um, so, all right, porn. Shall we segue to porn? Yeah, yeah. Well, before we jump into that, have you considered doing an updated version of Nice Guy? Um, my publisher asked me that about a year ago. And um, I said, no, I'd rather just write some more books that continue on. So we actually just tweaked uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy a little bit, kind of create, you know, fix some some errors in it. With, even after all the all the people that had read it and edited it, it still had about 60 errors in it that, that we corrected. So, and I, and I wrote a preface to it um, that kind of talked about where my life has been and what I've learned over the last 15 years. Um, but I, I really didn't want to, to revise it, but um, my, my life I almost died about six months ago. Um, I, I didn't know it for a long time, but I, I had a tumor in my small intestine that was killing me. It was choking off. Uh, I, I couldn't eat and couldn't shit and nobody could find it. Nobody knew what was wrong. I'd lost 30 pounds. And finally a doctor here in Mexico ran the right test, found it. And so I had surgery back in January. So you, you wake up from almost dying and you go, all right, I gotta get on with my life. And so my, my goal right now is to write 10 books in 10 years. Wow. And, um, and uh, I'll do it. Uh, I already know what I want to write. And 10 years from now, the list will probably still have 10, 10 subjects more that I don't even know about yet on it. So, uh, so I, I want to just keep writing. I, I don't feel like I re really need to rewrite No More Mr. Nice Guy, but I'll keep writing books that both support it and some go in a little bit different directions as well. So um, that, that's, that's what I'm about. That's what I get up and do every day is I write. Perfect. Awesome. I look forward to reading all of that. All right. It's, it's on the way. Uh, porn. Um, yeah, I think I've, I, I don't know the exact figure, but I've heard something like 60 to 70 percent of the bandwidth on the Internet is driven by porn. Um, social media might be competing with that as well. But um, I, I think it's huge. Uh, my personal opinion, I don't have a moralistic opinion about it, but I think in general it's bad for men. Um, number one, it's a fucking waste of time. Um, number two, it, it, it can be a very addictive. Uh, it, it, it feeds off of our, our just our most basic core drive. And that is sex and sexual variety. Um, it tends to disconnect us from real people. I tell guys it's called a sex drive because it's meant to drive you to pussy, not to your hand or your computer screen. And a lot of single guys that are, that are hooked on porn, um, it, it takes away the drive to actually go deal with the bullshit you got to deal with to actually meet women and get to know them and get into relationship with them and get naked. I mean, it takes some work. It's part of that masculine initiation porn. Just, you don't have to do it. And then every single guy that's looking at porn, every, every man who's not in relationship thinks, well, once I get into relationship, then I'll quit looking at porn because I won't need it. I'll have a real live woman. They don't, they never quit. Um, and so, yes, I've dealt with a, a lot of uh, married guys, guys in a relationship 
that, you know, every time their wife catches them or finds it, they have the shame attack. They, you know, I promise I'll never look at it again. They throw out all their stash. They, you know, erase everything, blah, blah, blah. And uh, like they say, with most addictions, it's not a quitting problem. It's a starting problem. You know, everybody's quit porn many times, but you start looking at it again. when You're bored, you're anxious, you're lonely, and it's so fucking available. Um, it, it, it rewires our sexuality. It addicts us to fetishes to where we only get turned on looking or thinking about this one thing. And we can't get turned on by a real person having real sex. You know, we got to think about the porn we looked at in order to get aroused with a real woman. That's fucked up. There's something really wrong with that picture. Um, so yeah, I, I think it is probably one of the, one of the core things that afflicts men. Uh, and keeps us stuck and keeps us from really growing into full full masculine adulthood is is a dependency around porn um, it, you know it just keeps us addicted to the female form and you know it just gives it all kinds of power that you know we already give women enough power as it is without just daily addicting ourselves to their body parts so that's my thoughts about porn. Now, um, the the quitting it if you've been doing it. The best way I know is just bring it out in the open. Go go work with a therapist, a coach. Go to a twelve step group and just bring it out in the open. What what I would do with clients when I when I had my private practice, if they brought up porn issues, we'd sit down at my computer and I'd say, "All right, you sit in the captain's chair, log on, show me what you look at." And we just talk about it like we're talking about cars or sports or whatever. All right. What do you like about this? Where would you go next? What turns you on about that? Why wouldn't you look at that? What, what about this? And we would just talk about it. And there's something about just bringing it all out in the open. I think most porn addiction is really a shame addiction. It's like I've got this hidden little secret tree for it where I can go look at daddy's magazines that I found. And it's kind of like I've got my own little world that nothing can intrude on. And kind of like when you, once you bring it out in the open, Porn is actually pretty boring. Um, I, I've, I've had groups of men sit around looking at porn and, and the men <laughs> the, the, waving at my wife looking through the glass doors of my office. I think she's probably getting hungry. Um, she'll probably bring me food anytime. Now. <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me, I promise you, but she would knock first. Um, you know, I was talking about porn and I looked at my wife and I got completely distracted. Um, so what was, I, what was the last thing I said about porn? Uh, that, that it's boring. Oh, actually. Oh, so yeah. Looking at it in a group, if you get a group of guys together, you know, like, you know, a men's group and, you know, one guy talked about porn and, and we'll all stand around when one guy looks at porn within about four or five minutes, everybody's shuffling their feet. They're bored. They're cracking dumb jokes. You know, it Porn just gets boring when you just bring it out into a con the conscious light. It's only when it's hidden and secretive and I'm up to something, I'm getting away with something, I'm a bad boy, uh, you know, nobody can intrude on me. That's I think that's most of, of the appeal of it, believe it or not, which tells me that maybe we guys need to go get a life, you know, need to go get something that fulfills us and feels like our own and not have to <laughs> go, go sneak away into our little emotional tree fort and sneak a peek at, at boobies and pussy. So it's growing up. <coughs> Excuse me. What about, um, I guess before we start running out of time, it is getting close to dinner time. Um, what, uh, I guess, what's the first step or what's the easiest thing to sort of start yourself in the right direction. If you're a listener and you're thinking, Holy fuck, I might be a nice guy. 
Holy fuck, I might be a nice guy. Most nice guys wouldn't say holy fuck. They'd say gosh oh, darn, oh, I'm a geez. nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I learned to swear as part of my nice guy recovery. Um, yeah, I, I, it's true because actually today <laughs> on my Instagram profile, I actually used superlatives for the first time in my Instagram. And I was I actually was remember driving today at work and I'm like, oh, gosh, is my parents going to see it and I have to deal with my a phone call from my mother. And then I thought to myself, that's dumb. Why do I even care? <laughs> you know? I, I, I hear you. And, and by the way, women taught me to swear. It's kind of like, you know, some women I've known in my life were just – they use the fuck word really elegantly. So uh, they talk. Very me. wholesome. Very wholesome. Okay. And versatile. Uh, and versatile. Yeah. The whole George Carlin thing. So uh, where do you start? Uh, I always tell guys, don't do this alone. You did not become a nice guy. You did not develop this paradigm, this roadmap in social isolation. Odds are you developed it very early in your family, perhaps with the influence of, of religion, Culture, which in most areas is highly influenced by religion, um, school systems, trying to, to get women to pay attention to you as a teenager. We did not develop these nice guy patterns in isolation and, and just use like, you know, I think it was Einstein said using the same, the, the, the same problem solving tools that created the problem is not going to solve the problem. So using the same tools you got in your toolbox that got you where you are is not going to move you through it. So go, go, go get help with this. And I don't, I don't even mean so much go get help, but don't do it alone. Nice guys want to do everything alone. I can figure it out myself. I can mainly because we got this whole shame thing and we're afraid of being too visible or too seen. So I, I started in a 12 step group. I actually went to a 12 step group for sexual addiction and found out quickly. I wasn't a sex addict. I wasn't having enough sex to be a sex addict, but I, but I did find a safe place to just start opening up and telling everything about me that I had some shame about, or I kept hidden or secretive. Then I started going to some therapy with individual therapists. Then I joined a men's group and, and I continue to do this work today of, of, of not going it alone. Every time I kind of like most nice guys kind of retreat back into just hunkering down and doing it on my own stuff just starts building up and it, it starts kind of going South on me. And I go, Oh, that's right. Doing this alone is not a good idea. So as I said, when I started my own nice guy recovery, um, the internet existed. I'm showing my age, but it wasn't, you know, I don't know if I had a computer yet or, you know, a dial-up connection at the time. Um, but nowadays, you know, you can find so many resources. You know, there, there's, you know, a thousand guys like Chase out there that, you know, men coaching up other men because of the coaching that they've gotten. There's all kinds of programs out there. There's so many books out there. Uh, but don't just read a bunch of books. Go connect with other men. Um, go to Chase's website, go to my website, drglover.com. I've got certified coaches and therapists, but just, just Google, you know, men's work, Google, just, just get creative. Um, and you know, if you've got an addiction, there's 12 step programs. If you want initiation, go, go do a, a, a mankind project, a, one of their weekends, they have follow-up groups. Um, so yeah, that's my number one advice. Don't try to do it alone. Awesome. Do you have a, do you have anything you want to finish up with Chase? Uh, basically I would say, um, 
what my my last my last final question would be because I have a son. He's he's has uh, he's having surgery on Monday actually, but uh, his birthday is coming up. He's going to be turning seven. Uh, what can I do as a father, or what can other fathers do to try to make sure, especially uh, in relationships where they're actually near their children regularly, but also mm-hmm. in situations where they're not near their tr- children regularly, what can fathers do to impart upon their sons to make sure that they don't develop nice guy syndrome, or at least give them the techniques to be able to stave it off essentially yeah. in their lives? Yeah. I, I was asked the same question in an interview I did yesterday. It's a good question. Um, best advice I can give um, – I, 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 my son is, will be 33 this week, uh, I think Sunday or Monday. Um, and he's got an 11 year old daughter and he's like the best dad. He's, he's, the, he's the custodial parent of his 11 year old daughter. He's the best parent I've ever seen. I think, I think maybe most of his parenting approach is doing the opposite of what I did with him. And it, he turned out to be an amazing dad. Um, but my best advice for, for dads, I, I heard something a long time ago that said, best gift you can give your children is to love their mother. Now, in th- this case, you know, I think you're not with the mother of your son. No. Um, and so that's not an option. But if he can see you treating his mother with respect, if he can see you know, how you treat the woman that you're with, that's really powerful to, to see you being the kind of man that you talk about being and, and I get a sense that you live. Just him seeing how you penetrate women with, with love and respect and how you penetrate the world with love and respect is powerful. So the, the model that you set um, and, and the fact, for example, um, my second wife, I raised two stepkids, a stepson and stepdaughter. My stepson and son were about six months apart. So they're really close and I was very involved in their lives. And I can remember one time when my son was about, stepson was about 15 and his mother was going off on me about something. I, I, that's who I was married to when I wrote No More Mr. Nice Guy. And, and I remember my son at about 15, my stepson said, Pops, are you going to let her talk to you like that? And I'm thinking, this kid wants me to stand up, set a boundary, be strong with his mother so, so that he can, you know, feel safe and, and know what that looks like. And so, yeah, they, they need to see how we interact with women in the world. Now, the other piece I would say is um, hopefully you're out there spending time with men. I'm talking to men in general listening to this, that you've got your own connection with men. You're out there doing guy things with guys. And invite your son to come do that. It's, it's kind of what, what sons used to get from their dads. They went out and worked in the field, worked on the farm with dad, with, with grandpa, with uncles, with cousins. Um, so both involve him in the things you do that you love to do, your passions, bring him along, and especially bring him along to hang out at times, not all the time, but at times when you're hanging out with your guy friends. Let him see what it's like to be a part of a band of men. So, for example, if you go to a baseball game with two or three of your buddies, bring your seven-year-old son along and let him see what it's like when guys hang out, tell the same dumb joke over and over again, give each other shit, be playful, love on each other. Let him see what that looks like and, and get him kind of in that mode. This is what men do. They go spend time with men. They have a good time. They love on each other. They, they support each other. They tease each other. They give each other shit. They hold each other accountable. I think that those are the best gifts you can give your kid. All right. Fair enough. That's a very good point. And I'm glad you answered the question so that uh, the viewers uh, can 
gain that insight. Uh, it's one of the main questions that I received mostly from my audience, uh, specifically with fathers. Mm -hmm. Although I haven't lectured much yet on parenting uh, with my community because I started it in March and still ramping up basically. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it is it is a very common question. So yeah. and I think you definitely presented the answers succinctly. So I I do appreciate um, the model in which you put forth, and yeah, I think I think I will be taking my son to a baseball game. He's actually coming to visit me by himself this weekend, uh, mm -hmm. so we're going to be doing things just him and I. So it'll be great. Good, and find out uh, one of the things I say to dads is is learn learn his language. Oftentimes, a son has to learn dad's language. If dad's language is working on cars or this or that. If the son doesn't, if that doesn't fit for him often there's no connection so learn his language you know if, if he's into certain things like my stepson just turned 13 last week and he'll ask me about do i know certain music groups and they're of course all latin mexican or spanish music groups and oftentimes i'll say no show me a video because you know he's you know he knows i like music we listen to music all the time all the way from classic rock and roll to, to Mexican banda music to, you know, I, I, I get, I get the jazz standards going as well. And, and so that's one thing when he, when he says, do you know this group? I'll say, no, show me one of their videos. So find out what he's into, what, what, what his language is. All right. Hmm. Will do. Thank you. Uh, before we wrap up, I'd bounce back to books one more time. I've been just floating this one past the last couple guests I guess I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I'd like to know maybe what you're reading now and what the what uh, the book you feel everyone should read is. All right, I, I, I got my Kindle sitting right here, so I'll, I'll I'll tell you which books are at the top of it. Um, you know, we've mentioned Way of the Superior Man by David Data several times. Uh, highly recommend that. Um, both of Mark Manson's book, his models books about dating, uh, are good books. Uh, okay, here's here's what I'm reading right now. And some of them I've, I've read more than once. I, I read a daily meditation book for men in recovery called Touchstones. Um, I'm, and it's just one of those daily med. It's really good. I really rec recommend it. I read some uh, Thich Nhat Hanh every day. Uh, he's a, a Buddhist monk. Uh, I'm actually reading another book by a Buddhist monk called Women, Sex, and Monday, Money. Um and I always struggle pronouncing his name, but it's it's uh, Trungpa, uh, Chungya Trungpa. Um, so for some reason my Kindle is running real slow right now. Okay. Other recent books. I'm, I'm also reading. Uh, I, I dove into Rollo Tomasi's Rational Mail. I've had people talking about it for years. So I thought I'm speaking at a conference that he's at in October, so I figured I, I better. Uh, I've read a few of his blogs, so I'm actually reading the book. I'm reading some essays by E.B. White. I, you know, I got to get some just easy, you know, reading in there. E.B. White wrote Charlotte's Web. He wrote uh, The Elements of Style by Shrunken White. So he's been dead for several years, but great writer. Uh, I'm about to finish up Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. Uh, I'd recommend that. Um, one of my favorite books uh, I've read a couple times, Wisdom of No Escape uh, by Pima Chodron. Um, she's also a Buddhist teacher. Um, other books I've been reading lately... Oh, another one that I recommend a lot is um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. It's not The Art of War, 
but the war of art really great for anybody uh that that's stuck uh, anywhere in life in, in your creative uh uh self um anything by Brene brown is good um i just, just finished for, rising strong like two days ago there you go. One of my favorite fiction writers, I guess two of my f- uh, favorite fiction writers relating to men, uh, one would be Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, just came across a book I downloaded of his recently. I haven't read yet. He wrote Fight Club and um, Choke, and uh, he really writes men's issues really well. Um, and then the other, I won't be able to think of his name, but he wrote um, Into the Wild that was made into the movie. Um, and... It, um, he wrote a book about climbing uh, Mount Everest, uh, really writes a lot about He's written about Mormonism as well. So I wish uh, I could think of his name, not coming right to mind. But Into the Wild, you know, really good movie um, and, and a really good book. Highly recommend it. Cool. So there's a whole, whole range of stuff. Well, what are you guys reading right now? Give me some, give me some suggestions. Right now I'm reading – uh, how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Dale Carnegie. There you yeah. go. How to be I, a nice guy. <laughs> I started on some Carnegie stuff and it just seems it's been really resonating with me. So I'm sort of going down a little Carnegie rabbit hole. Yeah. Somebody showed me the other day. They said they got a new business card printed up. It said, you're the fucking man. And that's just what it says on the business card. It said, yeah, I think that's the same business card Dale Carnegie used. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. So I have that, and I just finished, like I said, I just finished Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Right. And I saved my reading pretty much for the guests that we're having on. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm pretty but much But you didn't read with, No More Mr. Nice Oh, because you got it covered. You guys got <laughs> yeah, it covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's scared right, so of what it. else have you read but, recently? What, what other books by your guests have you read? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Uh, hey, you guys put me on the spot. Hey, don't worry. My, my turn's right after yours, Graham. Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did do is I just uh, added to my card on my audible.com, uh, narrated by Dr. Robert Glover, uh, by Dr. Robert Glover. So your your book is on uh, audible.com as well. So I just added that to my card. Boom. I can, I can, I can afford to take my family out to eat dinner tonight. Thank you. <laughs> Fair enough. So we got that cooperative reciprocal relationship. Yeah. You, know, you yeah, bought well, my book, you'll here, grow. I can go eat dinner now. Here's one. Actually, here's one for you: "The Power of Eight by Lynn McTaggart. That was one of my later ones, and I was reading "The Master Key System" by Charles Harnell, I believe. And then there was an old, like early 1900s Law of Attraction type book by uh, Florence Scoville, I think her name was, called "The Game of Life." So there's a there's a few interesting ones. Okay. And those are so, usually on Audible. Like, I don't have much time to read, so it's usually listening to these audio On Audible, books. yeah. Okay. Chase, right. what, what are you, some of your favorites? My, my Well, uh, right now, uh, I just finished uh, The Warrior Within by John Little, which is uh, an analysis deep dive into Bruce Lee's uh, personal philosophy. Okay. Uh, and Brandon Lee's as well. It was very good, and I highly recommend it. Finished that today. Uh, I just, I'm rereading Understand Yourself and Others by Dr. Linda Behrens, uh, which is her book on the temperaments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm about to start tomorrow, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Oh, nice. And uh, The Boy Crisis, which we also talked about. After that, in my queue is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> and, I read that uh, years ago. And a little bit of uh, Alan Watts. I just added the Mark Manson book to uh, my queue as well. 
Uh, and actually, Alan Watts, I've recently put some of his stuff in too. I mean, I mean, how I'm thinking, how did he stay off the radar of my awareness? I mean, the guy's fucking brilliant. Absolutely, and I recommend you watch you read the Warrior Within by John Little because Bruce Lee and Alan Watts really coincide, and to really understand a more um, I don't want to say modern, but like actually like today uh, interpretation of uh, Alan Watts, I recommend going in the Bruce Lee direction with John Little's book. Uh, okay. It's fantastic. Cool. I'm going to download that as soon as we're done. See, we men like to read books. That's right, yeah. or at least listen to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, at least listen. To you got to squeeze some audio books in between your podcasts. Well, yeah, I, this is how I do it. And this is very important for like the viewers on uh, Gramerica or even in my community. People ask me all the time, how are you able to read so many books? And it's like, well, every time I'm taking a shit, I'm reading a book. Or every time I'm on a commute or I am driving or writing, because I do a lot of driving for my day job, for example, because I'm an engineer, I'm constantly listening to audiobooks all the time. Yeah. So if you have a commute or if you're riding around the car by yourself, not without another human being, you definitely should be on your iPhone listening to an audiobook of some kind yeah. and definitely put books next to your toilet. I have consumed many books off of the toilet. Uh, I think I've done probably maybe 11 different books in the last year alone just from toilet reading. That's, that's a lot of shits, man. <laughs> yeah, so you got to change up your diet. <laughs> hey, I want to throw one other book out there that, that just dawned on me because I was listening to it as an audio book as well. Um, Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. Um, she's f- fucking brilliant. It's, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm reading her. Like, you know, there's a few people out there. I read them. I go, man, I wish I'd written that book. And and this is one of them. So mating in captivity by Esther Perel. Are we in captivity? Yes, I it applies to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, well, if you're going to go that far, we're then. domesticated. Her basic, her basic premise is that how we typically define intimacy and in relationship actually kills sexual passion because intimacy makes the relationship really safe and knowable. And and she says that actually works against sexual passion. Absence absence makes the heart grow fonder, and that's actually kind of coincides with Christopher Ryan's uh, philosophy Sex when he wrote Sex at Dawn. Yeah, which I also yeah. recommend. I, I recommend Sex at Dawn as well. Perfect. And of course, we should mention you've got the whole online community. That's drglover.com. Yeah, just drglover.com. Or if they just want to Google Robert Glover, if they Google No More Mr. Nice Guy, I come up at the top of both pages. So I'm easy to find. I've got you know online university with a few self-help courses, got a, a ton of podcasts on a lot of different subjects, a bunch about dating. So, uh, yeah, people can just go poke around. Right on. Perfect. Well, th- big thanks for coming on, uh, Robert. Chase, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, I'll probably track you down again in another month or two when we ramp up our other show and see if I can con you into coming on that as well. So hopefully we didn't offend you too bad over here today. <laughs> I, I, I can't speak for Chase, but I've had a good time. This is likewise. Uh, is is you know I, I like to talk. I like to share this stuff, and it seems like we got a lot, a lot of alignment of ideas. So that that yeah. was fun. Yeah, right on. Yeah, thanks a lot. Right on, guys. Well, yeah, thanks for coming on, and 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 come back anytime. Great. Thank you for the invitation. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good night. Okay. Later. And that was our chat with, uh, of course, friend of the show, Chase Joseph. 
And uh, Dr. Robert Glover, what'd you think, buddy? That was good. That was, that was awesome, good actually. Really, really good. Yeah, yeah was I, I was surprised was a... at how much the the Superior Man came up because that really that book really affected me. So there was a couple people in the chats that said they figured it was the best one ever. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so no, that was good. I'm telling you, the climate's right. Yeah. Bingo, bango. So uh, huge thanks to uh, well, Robert Glover. But we should talk about Robert a little bit because he was an amazing guest. Like for his. Uh, awareness and listening and attentiveness and how much he remembered of what you know chase would say or we would say like you could really tell he was very present with our current conversation it wasn't just about a shtick yeah exactly awesome yeah absolutely like i say his book's one of the uh probably the most probably the most influential book in my life to date that's a good couple of weeks. I was looking on As we start circling 300, we got a couple. I was of, looking on Audible, 4,500 uh, reviews for almost five-star. This book. Which one? No more Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, is it? Yeah. Not his new one that he narrated, but the old one, obviously, that has been around for a few years. Nice. Pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, big thanks to Chase for coming on the show and bringing uh, his community along. Hopefully, you guys stick around and, uh, yeah. I think you'll like it in Grimerica. We have these long chats, no commercials. Of course, there's only one way. Well, actually, there's a, a few ways. If it wasn't for a few people that do choose to support us, uh, the show wouldn't be here anymore. So check out grimerica.ca slash support. We've got, uh, you know, we're trying to hit that 1% support mark. We haven't quite got there yet. But if a few of you this week head over grimerica.ca slash support, we got weekly plans, monthly plans, uh, annual one time, plans, one-time one time donation plans. We got Patreon plans for as little as a buck a month. You can be helping out the show, make sure it sticks around, and uh, you don't just turn on your podcatcher one day and we're gone. That'd be fucking terrible, wouldn't it? See? You just didn't want to think about that. Now you thought about it. Support the show. Because? Because. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Do everything in the show notes, too. Because. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. I think you have to say a, a reason. No, you don't. He said yes, you just no, have no, to no, say no, because you have to say reason because it'll make it you feel good and you'll live reason. longer. Yeah, that's right. Okay, there we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. My servo power is depleted. I don't have breath. I can't sing no more. Probably stare at the wall until I see right through it. I stare at the ceiling until I see right through it Thousands of feet up, that's you in a jet plane Flying to paradise Also known as heaven Also known as heaven Clouds, 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 and more clouds Clouds, you make me proud Go groan Go groan alone Go roll your bones Alone. The location is west of the river, and I'm wringing my hands and pacing the floors, listening to Fenwick's records. But other than that, thank God I'm.
position is extremely personal But I'll never tell you why I'll never tell you why Watch the walls, watch me violently toss and turn in bed Violently toss and turn in bed And the radiator is hissing and clanging and whispering this The location is west of the river Wringing my hands and pacing the floors Listening to their Rojo record But other than that Praise God I'm satisfied Praise God I'm satisfied Praise God I'm satisfied Praise God I'm satisfied your mind.